This episode is brought to you by Fizzy Vantage, now the official climbing nutrition sponsor of the Nugget Climbing Podcast. Fizzy Vantage is the leading brand in climbing nutrition. And just to name a few names, their pro athlete team includes Matt Foltz, Paige Klassen, Drew Ruana, Jonathan Segrist, Natalia Grossman, Melina Costanza, Brittany Gorris, Jordan Cannon, Katie Lambert, Jimmy Webb, and Daniel Woods. The list goes on and on. Basically, the who's who of high-performance rock climbing, they are all using Fizzy Vantage products. I personally love the supercharged collagen. I'm obsessed with getting stronger fingers, and I want to make sure I'm giving my body all the building blocks it needs to make stronger tendons, so I take supercharged collagen every day. If you would like to feel the Fizzy Vantage yourself, head over to fizzyvantage.com and use code NUGGET15 at checkout to save 15% off any full priced nutrition product. That's fizzyvantage.com and use code NUGGET15 at checkout to save 15% off your order. This episode is brought to you by Rhino Skin Solutions. This stuff is my go-to when it comes to taking care of my skin for climbing. I use the repair cream almost every single night, all the time. I use it multiple times a night if I'm climbing in a sharp and crimpy area like Waco Tanks or Leavenworth or some of the other places I like to climb. If I come home from a day of climbing and my skin's torn up, I wash my hands and then I apply repair cream several times throughout the evening. And it really does wonders for helping my skin heal faster and getting me back on the rock the next day. If you want to level up your skin game, head over to rhinoskinsolutions.com to check out their great line of products and enter code NUGGET at checkout for 20% off your next order. That's rhinoskinsolutions.com. Use code NUGGET at checkout for 20% off your next order. And if you want to learn more about how to use Rhino products and which ones might be right for your skin or for the rock type that you like to climb on, I recorded an episode with founder Justin Brown, who's a friend of mine, way back in episode 22. That's still a great episode, and I still highly recommend it. So check that out to learn more. One final time, rhinoskinsolutions.com. Use code NUGGET at checkout for 20% off the best skincare products in the game. Hello, friends, and welcome to the Nugget Climbing Podcast. This is your host, Stephen Dimmitt. And my guest today is Lily Crawl. Lily is the founder of Boardworks Climbing in Bend, Oregon. And it's just boards. It's a new model of climbing gym that I'm sure we're going to be seeing a lot more of in coming years. Moon board, kilter board, grasshopper board, decoy board, spray wall, that's it. It's just boards and some training equipment, and it's super cool. I got a chance to visit the gym and sat down and interviewed Lily, and I really enjoyed the conversation. Lily is awesome. She's great to talk to. We talked a lot about her life story. She's got a very interesting story. We talked about some of the challenges of building the gym and some of the behind-the-scenes stuff that happens if you're trying to do something like open a gym. And we talked about climbing. Lily is a really badass climber as well. She mostly climbs at Smith Rock, which if you've been listening to the podcast for long enough, you will know is my old stomping grounds. And she's really good. She's climbed a bunch of 513s, I think up to 513 plus. And she's currently training for To Bolt or Not To Be, which is a famous 514A, the first 514A in America. Super impressive and hard route, and it was really fun to hear how she's thinking about that too. So we covered a lot of different topics in this interview. I loved it. Lily was a great guest. And with that, please enjoy Lily Crawl. Mm-hmm. 
Can you get closer to the mic? Is that possible? I can. I can. I'm making this hard on you. You're sitting. You're sitting on a, a round orange bocce. No, is it called a bocce ball? Like a I balanced think, I think ball? They're called, I think they're called fitness orbs. Fitness orbs. According to um, Jim and Dwight from The Office. <laughs> it's one of the of best scenes. Of course. I have to admit, I'm not the most loyal Office viewer. I love the show, but I don't think I've seen that episode, sadly. Yeah, it's a good one. Jim pops Dwight's fitness orb. <laughs> I got uh, you. Yeah. <clears throat> Do you want to set the scene for us? Sure. Yeah. So we're coming to you live from my tiny changing room at Boardworks, a gym that I opened. Bend, Oregon. Bend, Oregon um, in January. And we've got this nice blue light. We're, we're sitting in a, I don't know, nine foot by nine foot. Cube. Cube room. Yeah. yeah nine foot by nine foot by nine foot. It's, it's. Uh, it is quite a box. Quite a box. Yeah. Uh-huh. Um, this, is, this is one of the cutest, funniest little recording setups I think I've done. We've got just, it's very tasteful. Mm-hmm. My got, stepmom designed it. Nice. Uh, this light nice was lighting. left over from the. Um, business that was here previously called Real Deals, which I think went out of business because everyone learned that they can purchase everything they need from Amazon. <laughs> Our friend Jeff, Father Jeff Bezos. Mm, Father Jeff Bezos, of course. But yeah, we've got yeah. this nice carpet, um, a mask from Africa. That's from Rocklands. From, from your, Rocklands. From yeah, that's really cool. Mm -hmm. You painted that yourself? I didn't, no. What did you say that you said you... You took a long time to oh just set up this whole space in general. Yeah, I like think. the little the little changing room. Okay, um, gotcha. Yeah, this mask is super cool. It's very yeah. Very I try interesting. And, I try and bring stuff back from my trips, you know, to remember them. Memorabilia. Yeah, um, I want to do that. I think I need a I need a house first. Like, mm, I, you know, you can't you can't bring stuff. Well, yeah, I haven't talked about that yet, but hopefully, um, but yeah, you can't like bring home mask you know a mask a, a potter piece of beautiful pottery the size of your actual face when you live in a van you know there's mm -hmm. only so many of those you can fit it's true so yeah yeah no i try and live my life very minimally i like pride myself on not owning any furniture or anything like that but then i realized that i just have to move into houses that already have all that stuff <laughs> yeah. so it's not that i'm minimal it's just that i'm a mooch <laughs> is really what it comes down to. <laughs> so I can, yeah. <clears throat> what is what is your? We're gonna bounce around here because I mm, want to take mm -hmm. a bunch of step backs to your upbringing here in a minute. But what does your situation look like in Ben now? Do you own a house? Are you renting a place? Are you like settled here? Do you think you'll stay here? Yeah, um, I mean, I love it here. I have a lot of unfinished business in Smith, so mm. I'll be here for a while. Um, <laughs> But I moved into a house when I first moved here. I was living uh, with this amazing woman, Jenny, who is a longtime friend. And she uh, owns a house and was letting me stay um, for a very good deal while I was building the gym. Because when you're building a gym, you don't have all the money. Um, and then I just recently moved into a house 
it's like a revolving climber house, which mm. is really where I feel comfortable. Oh, with Max. With right, Max. right, right. You yep. said that, yeah. With I Max. Just, I just saw him last weekend at Lizzie and Chris's wedding. Yeah. Yeah, it was great. Yep, Max and then Mike, Dolby, mm-hmm. and, um, and then Alex, who I've become fast friends with. But definitely where I feel comfortable, like when I first moved in, someone was like, sorry, there's gear all over the floor. I'm like, no, that's, this is good. <laughs> you guys have a couch. I don't have to think about that. There's climber gear. I feel at home. Exactly. That's great. And there's like stuff on the wall and in the house. They've said that no one knows who owns it because it's just been left from, you know, years of people. Mm-hmm. So yeah, it's great. Lots of stuff to mooch. Yeah. Nice. Perfect. Um, I want to, I don't always do this, but I want to go all the way back to your upbringing and kind of do a comprehensive, like get to know Lily a little bit. Um, I was looking at some notes this morning from a conversation that we had a year ago, which is unique and fun. Like I I don't always, but I usually do a pre-interview with people that I have on the show. And usually it's like, you know, a week or two or three before we sit down and record. And it ended up being it's, it's a year or a little more than a year that's gone by since we had that conversation on the phone and got to know each other a bit. So I have all these incredibly cryptic notes <laughs> that I just, I'm like, that's really intriguing, but I don't remember what we talked about. Um, and I remember your, your original plan was to open the gym in November and I was going to come down through here. All of that went out the window um, on, on both, on both yep. ends. And now finally I'm here a year later for Lizzie's wedding. And we get to do this and I get to see your gym and climb in it. So it's super fun. But yeah, we were having a conversation. Like I want to, I'm so curious about, about your life and your, um, how, how kind of you started climbing young and then you got into exotic dance. You've come back to climbing, like your climbing, it sounds like has been riddled with a lot of internal struggle and, and stuff that I relate to. And, um, it sounds like it all stems from, wanting external validation, like growing up as a kid and feeling like however you felt as a kid that made you just want, you know, approval and and validation from the outside. So I want to go all the way back to your childhood. I had some notes. Your mom was an addict. Yeah. You you started working at like eight years old for your dad. Like, yeah, (laughs) tell me, tell me a little bit about your childhood. Yeah. So, um, first off, I, I love my mom very much and she did the very best that she could. And I feel like for a lot of us, you know, the older we get, the more we understand our parents and we're like, y'all were just doing the very best you could. And being a human is very hard. Um, but she certainly struggled with addiction, uh, throughout my childhood into my early adulthood. Um, and, Uh, So growing up, that was really challenging, you know, really wanting a present mom, you know, and she's just not able to be that, Um, you know, coming coming home and she'd be drunk or, you know, finding alcohol bottles in her backpack and dumping them out, getting Mm. in trouble. Um, Was was dad in the picture? Was he at home too? Yeah, my dad uh, was working. He's the kind of the breadwinner when we were growing up. Uh, he's a forester. Um, and so he wasn't around all the time, but when he was, he was definitely, you know, trying to help (laughs) maintain some sort of sanity. And then eventually when I was around eight, um, he decided that he couldn't do it anymore, which 
is totally understandable. And so they divorced. And then it was just this very nasty custody battle. And, you know, we would be with my mom on weekends um, and then with my dad on the weekdays. And I remember when we would be leaving my mom's house on the weekend, she would just be crying, you know, like falling apart, hugging us and like trying not to let us go, but also drunk. And it was just a very challenging environment to grow up in. Mm. Uh, for me and my siblings, I have a brother and a sister. Um, Where are you in the mix? Are you the youngest? Oldest? I'm the middle. The middle? Yeah. Right. I'm the youngest of three. Okay. Mm. Yeah. I don't really know if I adhere to whatever the middle child yeah. is supposed to be like. <laughs> yeah, I wouldn't be able to tell you what they're supposed to be either. Yeah, yeah, know. it's like a you know. <clears throat> it depends. I mean, because like for for you, maybe maybe there are general stereotypes. You know, like the middle kid is you know I don't know the first I think kid. We're like supposed the, to be agreeable. Oh, interesting. I okay. think. I'm not sure. <laughs> You're like, no. <"Nah." laughs> we might be. I'm not sure. What do you think? I would agree. I don't know you well. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know you well enough yet. But but I was just thinking like you go through that at eight years old and I don't know that much about child development and what, you know, where your brain's at at different ages and stuff. But I just imagine big changes are happening at those ages. And mm-hmm. so, you know, you going through that at eight versus your older sibling going through that at you know, nine or 10, however old they were versus your younger sibling going through that at six. Like who knows the different ways that that affected the three of you and you'll never know, you know, but um, yeah. Yeah. I feel like, yeah, for me, it, it really, um, you know, we <laughs> you do so much introspection the older you get, but for me, I think it um, encouraged me to really try and control my surroundings and have a lot of like, you know, because you're like being thrown around different houses and like you don't know where you're going to be and you don't know how the people in your life are going to be treating you, um, switching around schools. Uh, my stepmom, who is lovely and wonderful, um, but at the time I was a kid and I was like, you're ruining my family, you know, and so she was in the picture and I had step siblings and it was just all very chaotic And so I feel like when you're growing up in that, you try and just like boil your life down into things that you can control. Um, And, you know, if you're able to control exactly what's around you, then it gives you the the feeling that you're safe. Mm -hmm. Yeah. How did you feel... How did you feel as a high schooler? Like, do you do you remember? Because you started climbing in that time frame at some point. I remember you said earlier today, like you weren't a cool kid, and um, going into dance, it sounds like was born out of that. Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. So i I grew up. I was like a little, I don't know, forest child. Uh, my we, dad. We was skipped a over that. You were yeah. like, weren't you working for your dad? At we like were, eight years old or something. And. Yeah, we weren't working for him, um, but we were doing a lot of like chores because you know children can't work, of course. Um, but we were doing we would do a lot of chores. Like I had a very good work ethic instilled in me from a very young age. Um, so we would do a lot of household chores and then help out around the the nursery and for his native plant restoration business. Um, and so during the summer, you know, we would have our, our work allotment and, you know, I'd look over at other kids and they're like playing in their pool and I'm like, 
shoveling dirt and, you know, like planting hundreds of, you know, incense cedar um, or transplanting things. So, yeah, growing up. Loose definition of chores. Loose. <laughs> yes, exactly. <laughs> it's good, though. You know, looking back, I really appreciate it. Um, I also remember we had a little vegetable garden and I realized that my neighbors liked to eat vegetables. And I was like, hmm, I have these vegetables. They want vegetables. I bet I could sell them. And so I started going around with little veggies in a wagon and I would sell them door to door. And then I realized that it would be more efficient. And I was like, I don't know, 10. I realized it would be more efficient if I figured out what they wanted first. And then I could bring that to them. So I started doing like little veggie delivery. <laughs> so always, you know, always a little hustler. <laughs> That's amazing. Yeah. yeah. Um, and then, yeah, high school, like, tell me about that, that feeling that you remember of just needing external validation. It seems like that's a big feeling that colors that chapter of life for you. Yeah. Uh, I was, yeah, so I was never a cool kid. I was never popular. Um, I was always very weird. <laughs> and so high school was really challenging. Um, I think I started displaying or kind of feeling disordered eating habits more in middle school. Um, and then I was actually, I mean, I had a lot of depression and anxiety growing up. It was really hard. Um, and I started controlling what I was eating. And this was actually, I'd climbed a few times when I was a little kid at Portland Rock Gym with my uncle. And I was like, this is really cool. Um, but I didn't really get into climbing until I was like maybe 13 or 14 when I joined a team. Um, but my eating disorder started before that. And it was more just like, Ooh, I'm not going to, I'm like feeling really bad. I'm not going to eat dinner. Um, and I think it's that control thing. It's the control. And then also I just have this memory of seeing a lot of magazines, like people magazines and, um, you know, other just written material or like, I think my stepmom had a calorie counting book and I must have made some relation of like, this is what people do. And this is what I aspire, should aspire to be also a cry out for attention. It was definitely like, I kind of wanted people to be like, wow, she's not eating. Something must be wrong. Like, let's look at the situation. Um, cause I think, you know, saying that you're doing something for attention is really viewed negatively. But sometimes if you're like a kid or a teenager, you're like, I'm doing it because I'm dying inside. And I want people to see that. Mm. So in high school, in middle school, I started kind of like skipping meals and realizing that people, like, I feel like for me, I just felt so bad on the inside, but you can't visually see that, that I think that trying to like become a little twig was like a physical manifestation of of my emotions. Whoa. Yeah. Um, I've never, I don't think I've ever heard anyone describe it that way. That's really interesting. Yeah. Like, I want to feel seen. You guys don't, know, like, I look fine, but like, you don't know what's happening in here. Let me show you. Yeah. Well, yeah. Yeah. And then, I mean, that just leads to so many challenging habits to get out of. So in high school, I think I was hospitalized. I can't remember if it was freshman or freshman or sophomore year, but I went to the hospital just for like low weight, low heart rate, all of that. And I don't relate it to my climbing at that point in life. 
Um, Because I was on a team, but I don't, for some reason, it doesn't resonate with my climbing performance at that point. Um, But being in high school and having severe depression and having an eating disorder, which is very socially isolating because you're like, you you don't want to eat with people and then you don't know how to interact with people and you're just like, there's so much shame that comes with it. And so during high school, I would... um, I would just spend lunch breaks in the computer lab. And so I got kind of good at like, I don't know, I'm, I got kind of techie, uh, which has been helpful later in life, but I didn't have any friends. I hate my birthday even today because back in high school, I would have birthdays and I like wouldn't really have anyone to invite. Mm. And so I, was, I just didn't even want to put that on display. So yeah, high school was very challenging. Um, And even though I was on a climbing team, climbing wasn't very popular at that point. So that didn't even give me anything. Mm -hmm. Where where were you again? Portland? Yeah, Portland area. Mm -hmm. Gotcha. Yeah. The the outskirts of Portland, which I guess isn't technically Portland. Tigard. Tigard. Okay. Gotcha. Tualatin. Yeah. And then dance. When did that come into the picture and and why? Was it... um, because I wanted to, I, I don't know if I know anyone else who has has been into and is into exotic dance. I'm not sure. Maybe I do, but um, I just am like so curious about it. I'm, I'm curious how you feel about it now, if it feels like something that still feels really empowering, if it was at the time, if it feels weird to talk to your climbing friends about it, you know, if you have, if you ever feel judged for it or if there's I just have no idea how, how that yeah. might feel. Um, but, but did you get into it from that, like as an extension of that same desire to just feel seen? I So I started dancing uh, in college. I bounced around after high school. Um, I was actually, I went to Costa Rica for a bit and then I went to a different college and then I actually went back into the hospital for my eating disorder and then few other places. And then I ended up at U of O and uh, I didn't really have any money. <laughs> I had spent all of my little bit of kind of savings actually paying for my hospital stay. And I was at this point of either taking out loans or figuring something else out. And my best friend at the time was in a similar situation. And so she biked herself to the club and she just auditioned and made like, you know, I don't know, 300 bucks that night. And I was like, what the heck? I want to do that. And so I was like, fuck it. Why not? Great. Let's do it. And so it really just was born out of not wanting to take out loans. And because it didn't really seem like it's, I don't know, it seemed like a little bit of an adventure, I guess. And yeah. So it's like, I'm just thinking like it's in a way it's, it's the same like little girl who's selling vegetables to your neighbors, just like, oh, oh totally. I see an opportunity here that, you know, I can make, I can make a buck and <clears throat> yeah, yeah, I, I'm a broke college kid who's got medical bills. I got to figure something out here. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I really, you know, I don't know if I would have ever gone that route if my friend hadn't. So I feel like that's really someone who has no kind of path to go that way and is like, this is the right decision. And it turned out great. We both made it through college with savings. You know, who wow. does that? <laughs> yeah. 
Um, how did you learn how to do it? Cause it's, I don't know anything about dance, but I mean, I know people go to school for dance. Like it's very, it's very technical, you know? And, and, um, like, do you just pick it stripping? up? Like, I, I don't yeah. know. Like, yeah. Is, ex so, is exotic dancing like complicated? Do you no. have to learn skill? Okay. No, it's not. Okay. It's not. And I think, <laughs> no. You're um, stripping? Taking your clothes it's, off? It's, it's crazy. <laughs> um, but yeah, I mean, I, so one of the other weird things I was into when I was a kid was contortion. <laughs> um, and so I've always been very flexible and that combined with rock climbing, you know, cause I'd actually, I never, I never really breaked from climbing. I've climbed pretty much the whole way through. So, um, I would, I was dancing and climbing and going to school and working for a long time. It was a lot, but I think the combination of having that, you know, kind of flexibility background combined with being a rock climber and just being in shape and being in college, it's pretty, pretty easy. You just kind of get on like you're for your first time, you know, you go in and you have like, I didn't have the fancy, you know, heels at first. I just had some random ones I had in the closet and you go in they're like, fill out this sheet, let's see your ID, and then, like, go on stage and just, like, I don't know, walk around and take your clothes off. You're like, okay. It's really, the bar is low. Was it terrifying? How did it feel the first few times? I think it was a little bit scary, but the thing with dancing is, like, it's it kind of a totally different version of you. Mm. Like, and that's also a challenge, though, because it's a totally different identity. So if you spend a lot of time in that world and then, I mean, I think some people blend their identities. And for me, I always maintained pretty separate, separate lives. You know, there was, I, I was a dancer sometimes, but then most of the time, like I always had a different job. I was always a rock climber, student, something else. And so that's kind of like the capital S self. And then the dancer was like lowercase s self maybe. Um so when you're able to separate yourself a little bit more, then it's less scary because it's not you. It's mm. a version of you. Mm. What, how did you feel when those two versions of you had to like connect with each other? Like, were, did you avoid talking about it with people? Did you feel empowered by it? Was there like, was it a, was there stigma around it or how did it feel? at the time. Do you remember? Yeah. Um, I mean, uh, the whole stigma thing is tough and it depends on where you live. I think, I think dancing has almost become in the past few years, a little trendier. Maybe it's just cause I live in Oregon <laughs> and you know, Portland area, which is the strip club capita. Um, is it really? Yes. Oh, I didn't know that. It sure is. Okay. Yeah. So many of them, which actually I've, I've danced like in, in the country. Mm -hmm. wow. Definitely the country. Probably, I don't know about the world, but um, yeah, I've danced in Portland for sure. But my main home club was in Eugene, Silver Dollar. Um, but yeah, the stigma is tough because, you know, it's kind of like I've, I've related it to having a face tattoo where it shouldn't like, oh, you want to become a doctor and you have a face tattoo. Like it shouldn't matter but it does, mm. you know, and you can try and be the person that like pushes Owns things it. along and like, mm. and like tries to change society. But for me, I'm like, I still respect the fact that like there is that initial like P 
people just don't know what it is, you know? And there's, we've all seen CSI Miami where they go in the strip club and it's like all dark and sleazy and like, and like for me, I was always very, I was always like sober when I was dancing and I never did any extras. Like I was always by the books dancer and made a lot of money off stage money, stage tips because I was really good at pole dancing. You told me, yeah, I think you said you would make like 2,500 bucks a weekend. Uh, yeah. That's. There was definitely a point where I was making like a, more money than I'll probably ever. Well, I don't want to say Yeah, that, I mean like quick, fast math, that's well into, you know, it's well above like the six figure, the six figure cutoff. Yeah. Like that's pretty amazing for, yeah. for just working on the week. I shouldn't say just working on the weekend. I'm sure it's really hard work, but yeah, that's like, that's an incredible college job. Absolutely. And it allowed me to save money to open this gym. Um, it allowed me to travel all over the world in college. Um, How's that work? Do you just, can you like call and get gigs like at different clubs and stuff? Yeah. So I, I didn't dance around the world, but for oh, example, I see. you'd save up and travel. And, yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah. But gotcha. like when I got my L1 cert in Portland, Maine, I went and worked a night in Portland, Maine and made money. And <laughs> I did the same at other, you know, yeah. when I would travel for like climbing stuff, I'd just go and, you know, audition. Mm -hmm. Yeah. It's, it's an amazing, you know, it definitely comes at a cost. It's really, really hard and it can make you very jaded, but it can also provide a lot of opportunity. Let's dig into that. Jaded because of like the clientele that you're dealing with. Like what, what is it about it that makes yeah. you say that? Yeah. You just, it really opens up your eyes to, ah, man, just the way that people can act can make you really just cranky. <laughs> sure. <laughs> sure. <Cranky>. Yeah. <clears throat> yeah. I mean, you're like, love is alive. <laughs> <laughs> love is alive. Yeah. No, I think it's interesting because I, I think there's, you know, like a place like Portland is kind of like the leading edge in our country's culture of like progression. And something like exotic dancing is like probably becoming more embraced as a legitimate career and things like that. But then at the same time, as we move towards, more like openness and tolerance and equality and things like that. You're kind of living in this microcosm of like pr probably a lot more objectifying misogynistic people than kind of the average, mm -hmm. I would guess. I don't know. Like, but do people go into a, a club being passionate about like gender equality and rights? Like maybe, but probably not. Is it, I, yeah, it's just interesting to kind of think about this, the balance of those two things. Yeah, yeah. I mean, you get everyone in a club. Um, I remember, I don't know, if, do you know Thievery Corporation? They're like, they're a band. They yeah. were in the Garden State soundtrack. Yeah, Everyone yeah, knows yeah. that one. Yeah. So I did private dances yeah. for those guys. Oh, wow. Yeah. Um, so you get that. I know one of my friends has like danced for Blazers, you know, before. And then you also get like... One of my regulars was a Mormon with like a wife and eight kids. And he would come in and just give me like, I don't know, 500 bucks for an hour and just chat with me and just be like, my life is awful. <laughs> um, and then he was at one point he told me he loved me. And I was like, this is where it's going to be done. We're done now. <laughs> you don't love me. You don't know me. Mm. Um, but you get just all sorts of people. Uh some guys just want to, yeah, I mean, a lot of people are just looking for a counselor. <laughs> mm. 
Um, and then you get the people who are just kind of like looking for a sexy dance and that's easy. That's fine. Um, but I, it always surprised me how many people were just looking for like a genuine connection, which I think is reflective of society today. Mm. What an interesting thing to, to go there to try to find that, you know, like that's, yeah, yeah that's just really interesting. It's expensive. <laughs> yeah, for sure. And it's also just like, what an interesting kind of, um, like what, what fantasy is that born out of, you know, is it like wanting to just have a lot more intimacy with your partner or something where they would like be that physically open and vulnerable to you while also being able to like listen and, and hear everything that you're saying? Like, I, yeah. Or just, yeah. Or just talk at you. They just want to tell you about their life. Mm. There are people who would come in and um, they would, guys would want to be beat up because that was their thing. They'd be like, punch me. Like, I'm not allowed to, but I'll pretend. So I would just get paid, you know, a lot of money to like fake hit guys. <laughs> that would happen. Sometimes wow. they would just want to give you a foot massage. If they had like a foot fetish, they'd be like, I'm just going to massage your feet for like five songs. Let's go. I'm like, okay, this is great. I love this for me. Um, and then there would be nights too. I mean, it's not all like, oh, like so much money. It's so easy. There would be nights where you would like hustle and try and make money and be like, you want to dance? You want to spend time? And you just get shut down, just denied. And you'd walk away with like, I don't know, 50 bucks. Mm. So it's, it's definitely not this like glamorized, you know, Instagram reel of cash fly, flying everywhere and those little machines that like throw cash. Like it is hard and not every day is good. Sure. Yeah. Like anything. I'm yeah. sure. Going back to what you said a minute ago, I thought this was interesting. Like the the people, you know, for who there's a stigma around it, just don't know what it is. What did, I mean, I get the CSI reference, you know, like the dark shady thing and like, you know, a dancer just like gets murdered or something. And that's why the CSI people are in there. But wh how, what kind of confusion do people have about it? Like, how is it different than people might assume? Or like what kind of stereotypes about it, like feel annoying to you? Man, you know, I think that it prop since since there's so many maybe different kinds of sex work these days or dancing, like, um, you know, is there a lot of like in the club you were at or in your experience doing it, was there like a lot of cocaine? Was were you drinking a lot? Or were there extras thrown in? Like, what does giving a private dance really look like, you know? And so I think that maybe, like for me, I like I said, I was sober. And if I gave a private dance, I would just kind of like dance on someone. And there was like no touching. Like I never did extras. And so I think that that's the challenge and that people don't know what it really is. You mm. know, is it an escort? And But then even then, what's wrong with that? Mm -hmm. So it's, I think it's just tough because we're we're brought up in a society where it still was and is kind of looked down on and I don't really I don't really know why you know it might just be one of those things that's been imbued in us and you can't really put your finger on it so it's yeah it, it's tough it's been really really hard to know how open you can be about it mm -hmm. because also people will look at you and they'll be like you tell them something like that and they're like that's awesome that's 
that's so cool for you. Like that's so empowering. But in the back of their mind, there's that little, you know, um, subconscious instinctual type one thinking that's like, this is different. Mm. I don't understand this. This could be dangerous. Mm. That's interesting. Yeah. It's like type one versus type two thinking. Type two is what we're consciously thinking actively. And then type one is that primal, you know, side. Mm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. How has it evolved? Like, how has your relationship with dance evolved over time? You you said that you have a show this weekend, or you're going to like go back into the club to make some money to save yeah. up for. I might come a back out of something. retirement for a weekend. <laughs> uh, I haven't so danced you're, in a you're long retired, time. air quotes. Like, yeah, it's the same as being a route setter. You know, route setter. I was a setter for like over a decade and you'll put down the drill and you'll pick it back up. You're like, I'm done route setting. And then a few years later, you're like, I miss route setting. <laughs> I could do this out. one event. Sure. Yeah. yeah. Um, yeah. More of just like it, I was at that club in Eugene for so long that I can just ask if I can come down for a weekend. It's been well over, it's been years, but I'm, uh, impulsively going to Greece in mid October to go climbing Kolomnos and um, I used points to get there, but, you know, I'm still within a year, within a one-year mark of opening a gym. So I'm not like my personal cash flow isn't really, you know, a river right now. Um, so it would just be nice to be able to go and have like, you know, a bit of money where I can be like, oh, I'm going to go and buy this thing or I'm going to go and eat. I'm going to go and rent a scooter for a week because I want to scoot around. <laughs> So, you know, having the ability to just go and work for a weekend, which I'm sure it's going to wreck me because it's hard, Mm. but just being able to go do it and then feel like I can go and enjoy my vacation without, you know, stressing a lot over like, oh, God, I could be spending this on utilities in three months. Um, Is it easy to kind of go back into that world? Do you still have like community there? It's been it's been a while, huh? Since you've been there. Yeah, Yeah, that's interesting. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I mean, it'll be. I think I've I've done it for long enough that I kind of because you know there was a period of time. I'll always think back to this, but kind of a reflection of my work ethic. But when I was route setting um, after college, I would set. Monday through Friday, Wednesday, we would wash holds, but it would be like full-time setting gig. And then Friday, and this was in Portland, Friday, um, after setting, I would take a quick shower. I would drive down to Eugene. I would work Friday night from like, you know, 6 to 2 a.m. And then I would work Saturday night from 6 to 2 a.m. Then at 2 a.m. I would drive back to Portland. Sunday would be my quote unquote rest day, I might train or climb. And then Monday I would start it again. And I did that for over a year. And then sometimes I would take the weekend off and climb at Smith, which is when I was sending really hard, which just doesn't make sense to me. Um, but yeah, yeah, it's crazy. Yeah. I want (laughs) to, I'm so curious. Like, I want to know if there was like a breaking point or or where, where that led to, because that just obviously doesn't sound sustainable. Um, but I do think it's really interesting. Like I kind of had a similar experience too, where when you have like all cylinders, like blazing like that, and you're totally overextending and burning the candle at both ends, you can kind of like ride that momentum 
you know, to some pretty amazing performances. Like it, totally. do, it, it like shouldn't work. It doesn't make sense. And it's not a good idea and it's not sustainable. But I kind of had the th same thing where like before the wheels came off and I crashed and burned and kind of had to rebuild, like I was really burning the candle at both ends and like sending really hard and like accomplishing some things. But then, you know, like the next, it took me like literally years to kind of rebuild um, mm -hmm. because I was so wrecked from, from that. Um, and I'd put my body through so much, but I don't mean to, to like project that onto you. What, what happened? Like, did you have a breaking point or did your, because you don't yeah. do that now, like eventually no, you, you stopped. Absolutely not. Yeah. No, I just wanted to quickly um, touch on something you just said, the, that idea of being able to sometimes find a lot of success when you're in that like overdrive. And there's so much danger there too, because you really can have pretty amazing accomplishments because your body is just like, 100% stressed out and it's in this fight or flight and you're just like zoom, 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 zoom. And then, um, yeah, and then you eventually do crash. But the problem in my mind is that you're like, okay, well, that's how I do success. Mm. That's how I have to be wow. successful. Yeah, I have to push it that hard. Um, and then that's how you can get in these cycles of like overdoing it and having success and then crashing. And then you're like, okay, well, got to start again um, instead of finding a balance, mm -hmm. um, a sustainable balance. Mm -hmm. uh, but yeah, for me, I was doing that crazy schedule up until I got offered the headsetting position down for Planet Granite, now Movement's new location in Fountain Valley, um, which is a bouldering only gym. Again, that's near Portland? No, that's uh, L.A., Oh, what was the name again? Planet Granite Fountain Valley. Fountain Movement. Valley. Got it. Movement Fountain Valley. Um, but yeah, I was pretty diehard sport climber and it was a bouldering gym. So I was like, it's kind of where I got into board climbing. But um, yeah, I basically was on that in that fight or flight mentality uh, up until that point. And I actually remember I applied for the job and... You know, I was like, I'm not sure if I want to do this. I know I need a big change in my life. One of my friends was like, do you really want to do this? It's like, maybe I need to get into real estate. She's like, you should do that. Get out of climbing for a bit. Because um, I was also in a really unhealthy place with climbing too. Um, but I got offered the position. And I remember I sat down with um, someone higher up in movement, Planet Granite. And I was like, look, like I know I got offered this position and I accepted, but I'm not... I'm not confident that I'm really ready to move down there. Like, I'm not sure it would be good for me. And they kind of point blank said, like, you've accepted the position. It would be really challenging for us if you weren't to move down there. And I was like, whoa, okay, here we go. <laughs> and so I go down there and um, it was good to take a break from sport climbing, but I was still like, I wasn't dancing down there, but it was you know, a really challenging transition. And that was right before COVID. So I think I, I built a pretty successful program. I think all of the setters that I hired are still down there, which is cool. And, you know, I was able to, when COVID hit, I was able to kind of like back out of it, uh, move back up to Portland. Um, but yeah, so I never really intentionally put time into <clears throat> fixing my or like working on my psychology to get out of that, you know, crazy training work regimen. I just moved to a different location and had a different 
version of, you know, portraying that kind mm. of, mm-hmm. I don't know if that answers your question. Yeah. Well, it, it leads us to what you're doing now. And I'm, I'm curious where that idea came from. I, this is a non sequitur, but I remember what I was going to ask you like 10 minutes ago. And I just want to like check this box before we move into boardworks and the gym that you've built. Going back to dance, you said, you know, no one knows what it is for you. Like, you know, how much cocaine were people doing? Were people drinking? And you said, I, I was always sober. Why is that? Given your parents' history, given your mom, why is it that you were able to stay sober? Like, was the, did, I mean, it seems like maybe you expressed your own version of addiction, air quotes, um, with the eating disorder. Um, but yeah, why, why did you ever struggle with substances or was that always just like, I saw my mom struggle with that. I know I don't want that. I'm going to do my own thing. So yeah, I've, uh, I've definitely had my issues with substances, (laughs) just not alcohol because alcohol has too many calories. So that's like, (laughs) it's like also negative. So so real, so honest. (laughs) Yeah. If alcohol is calorie free, you know, jury's out on that one. Um, (laughs) No, I've, I've had my issues with other, other substances that are flying around these days. Um, Adderall is like, was way too easy to get Mm. back then. Uh, so that's been a thing on and off for me in the past. Um, but as far as when I was working, I don't know, I very much viewed it as a job. And I also, I think it was another reason that I always made sure that I held down a job while I was dancing because I didn't, I didn't want it to be what society views it as for myself. What do you mean by that? Like, I think that, you know, it is still stigmatized to be that sleazy kind of an environment. And I just, it's not for a lot of people. Um, For a lot of dancers, they do it in a very professional manner. And I just wanted to do it that way for myself as well Mm. so that I could, you know, someday really own it and be, I I wanted to demonstrate that it could be done in a very professional, productive, least damaging as possible to your own psychology way. Mm. Yeah, cool. That makes sense. All right, I have no, I have no transition. Let's just jump to board works. Thanks, okay. for, yeah, <laughs> thanks for thanks for sharing about that. I was curious. Um, do you want to describe the gym and, yeah. and where the idea came from? Yeah. Uh, so I climbed a kilter board for the first time down at the uh, movement fountain Valley. And I was resistant to it at first. Cause I'm like, I, my traditional climbing style is vertex Smith. Put me on, you know, darkness at noon. That's my favorite. Um, I want to be a starfish. Uh, so I was never very powerful. I was always known like to not want to climb overhang stuff. I couldn't dyno or jump. And so board climbing was always like, meh. Um, but we had the 12 by 12 kilter. It was beautiful, adjustable at the gym. And I remember I started climbing on it for whatever reason. And I really, I'm the kind of person I like to track things. <laughs> I like progress. I like working out and training. Um, and I think that can be a very positive thing. Uh, but yeah, I climbed a kilter board for the first time. And I was like, this is 
rad. Like I am getting so much stronger so quickly. You can have, I was like having super fun sessions on it with my friends. And in the back of my mind, I was like this, you know, there's no setting involved. Like you can, you know, it's light, light, bright setting really, right? Like set her out real fast, but there's like hundreds of thousands of routes. I was like, this is, there's a lot of potential here. Um, Because also being part of setting programs and helping run setting programs, I know how much operation and money goes into that and how much work. Um, So just the idea in the back of my mind of removing that while not really removing a lot of the core uh, functions of climbing was interesting. Um, And then when I moved back to Portland in covid COVID times, I was walking around Gresham uh, with my friend, and she was like, you should open a climbing gym. I was like, don't be ridiculous. It's like, maybe, maybe, oh, okay, that's actually an interesting idea. And so I hit up some of my guy friends who I know had worked on climbing gym projects in the past. I was like, do you want to, let's open a climbing gym, because every climber's kind of thought about that at one point or another. What, what made your friends say that to you, do you think? Um, I think... You should open a climbing gym. Yeah, Why? Because I have a lot of experience in the industry, I'm motivated, and I didn't know what I was doing with my life. <laughs> <laughs> Got it. <laughs> um, and yeah, because at that point in time, I was like really searching for something. I like got my Pilates instructor certificate. I got I went through real estate school. I got a a certification in human resources. Like this was all at the beginning of COVID. I was like, I don't know what the fuck I'm doing. So I was trying to do all of it. And then just the idea of opening a climbing gym was just so appealing because it's such a massive goal, such a massive thing to work towards and put my energy into. And I have a lot of energy. And it... (laughs) Maybe it's the external validation, but it was also like a way for me to, you know, put put what my background in climbing and also my projections of where the industry could go and kind of just like create something. I'm very creative. Um, and yeah, so we worked on a climbing gym project for a little bit, me and these guys, um, and it was a really good idea. It was more of a traditional bouldering gym. Um, but the newer version, which is like a little more training focused. So like uplift would be an example of something similar. We were going to towards in Seattle, Seattle, like benchmark, um, like a smaller, more boutique bouldering gym. Uh, but the biggest problem was that we still, (laughs) those gyms are so hard to start up. Um, and none of us had money (laughs) a little bit, but you know, not millions. And so I was like, man, I really want to do, and it also wasn't that inspiring to me. Mm. Like it had already been done, Mm -hmm. you know, I didn't want a route set anymore. Mm -hmm. I didn't want to set another pink V4 in the corner. No, thank you. And I was like, what about like, what about a boardroom? What about like, you know, just boards. And they were like, no, nah, we want normal setting. Like that wouldn't be big enough. And so they didn't want to continue on with that, that idea, but it was always in the back of my mind. And, um, you know, I just kind of kept working on it on the side and 
running numbers and putting together spreadsheets and like kind of realizing with my savings, you know, it was way more feasible. And maybe about a year and a half ago, I was also helping start this houseplant business. (laughs) Um, And somehow I was able to put together the money that would have been enough. And I was like, wow, I could actually do this. And then you just kind of start chipping away the next pieces. You look for spaces. And and then all of a sudden things started coming together. And, you know, it, it, yeah, it just kind of worked. I wanted to ask, what gave you the confidence to do this in Bend? You know, we're, like, I'm curious about your market research or if you even thought about it that way, because maybe this is just a funny coincidence, but now there's four gyms, you know, like when I moved to Bend in 2013, there was one and it was a third of the size that it is now. It's been expanded Mm -hmm. twice, the Bend Rock Gym. Um, But since then, there's a circuit here now. And now this gym, um, Ben Rock Gym and the circuit have added, you know, boards and more training stuff before you built this gym. Um, Now there's the Bend Bend Endurance Academy. Like all the kids have their own training facility right next door. Actually, it's kind of fun that like you and I are sitting here recording this because I was just over there two nights ago with Joey and Rich recording with them. Um, And it was so cool to see that place. But, But yeah, I mean, Bend is kind of a climbing town with Smith there, but it's not as much of a climbing town as some others. And there's, you know, a hundred thousand people here or something. So it seems risky. It seems riskier than, than um, picking a place that has less competition, I guess. But yeah, what gave you the confidence to do it here? Or, or did you just want to be in Bend? Yeah. So um, Bend was always a place that I wanted to end up for some period of time. Uh, and then I definitely looked at a number of other areas. Um, I was flying back and forth to Vegas, um, which everyone initially is like, that's the place to do it. But I ended up finding, like, A, finding a space is really hard. So you kind of, so I guess one of the reasons I chose Bend was just growing really fast. And... There is a good amount of money here. If you look at the average price for memberships for different gyms, Bend is not the lowest. Like Reno is really low for mm. average monthly membership. And for a gym like this, there's a lot of amenities. It's 24-hour. Um, it is only it is boards, so there's the education piece that goes into like it's not a normal bouldering gym, so you have to price it uh, reflective that there's the education and people don't know what it is. And I also opened it in Bend because I'm also confident that it would attract and it has attracted not just climbers. Like, I think on the outside, looking at this model, you're like, oh, well, you need a a wide range, a good solid amount of strong climbers who would want to go to your gym. Sure. When in reality, it's just a new way to work out. Mm. So it's all about the marketing and it's all about... Um, the education piece that you're willing to put in. And I mean, the beauty of a kilter board is that you can climb it even if you've never climbed before. Yeah. I mean, that's a key piece of what you've done here is that you have six boards. Every single one of them is adjustable. Mm-hmm. So you can get a brand new climber climbing at vertical on the kilter board. And it's a pretty pretty good beginner board if you're climbing on a vert. Um, Absolutely. With the wall at a vert. Yeah. Vertical. Yeah. And it's also not like I'm opening um, 
uh, a touchstone gym or a gym that has 80 employees and, you know, a route setting program and ropes and all these things. It's a very low, low operational, um, you know, ongoing budget. So it allows me to- Low overhead, yeah. Yeah, way low overhead. So it allows me to kind of move into spaces that might not have a massive market. Another reason I chose Bend is my boy, Ken. Um, Ken is, uh, helped me literally construct the gym and he lives on a plot of land really close to Smith with like six goats and um, an excavator, like two excavators, 60 cars and and, a tra- and lives in a trailer. But he also is a structural engineer genius. And he lives. <laughs> you, said, you said it's like a Mad Max compound. Absolutely. Yeah, yeah. That's yeah, like the apocalypse. I went and <laughs> I was taking care of his goats because he was building the airport for Burning Man. <laughs> <laughs> That's amazing. I love it. <clears throat> and so he helped me put it together, as well as Trevor, um, who's a Bend local. And I didn't know him before I opened up here, but uh, he's part of the team. And good friend of mine. Shout out to Trevor. You, yeah. you. <laughs> Ken, Trevor, and I literally spent hours during an ice storm unloading hundreds of pounds of foam, slipping on ice, just totally disassociating. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, bend anywhere's going to be a risk, right? Mm, it's a new sure. model. Yeah. I mean, it's really, it makes so much sense. It's really attractive to me. I mean, this is the kind of thing that I've always wanted personally. Um, you know, my dream has always been to like, have a big garage or a big like shop and like build something like the obviously a much smaller version of this, but my own like personal version of this. Cause I just want to climb on a board all the time and like have a cool training spot, the 24 hour access. It's a cheaper membership as far as I'm aware than like a conventional commercial gym, um, because you don't have root setters and all that sort of stuff. And you like strip away all the distractions. It's actually kind of beautiful, you know, for a performance oriented climber, or someone that just wants to get a good workout in to come in. I don't know. I mean, the commercial set, like you walk in there, if you're like brand new, it's so shiny and cool looking that you kind of like have a workout without even meaning to. Like, that's pretty cool. That's a cool thing about climbing. But coming in here, I always struggle with the distractions in the gym, you know, and here you strip a lot of that away and saving a little money. You can come whenever you want. It's like, that makes a lot of sense. Yeah. Yeah. It's pretty sweet. It's, you know, it's a beautiful model. Um, and the community that it distills, you know, it's 18 and up. Um, and the Is that co- just reliability? Yeah. And also because, you know, there's this gym is basically serving a small yet quickly growing demographic. And so in the past, when gyms first started, 90% of the revenue came from kids programming. You know, it was kids. It was a youth gym birthday parties, climbing teams, after-school camps. And I feel like we're just on the precipice of this ability, basically, to operate a gym based solely upon adult enrollment because it's become such a popular activity. And even if you're not a climber, you're probably familiar with what it is. Mm -hmm. Um, So, yeah, it's just the model is is been working really well. Um, and like, I love being able to come in here. Like at night, there's a dad squad that comes in 
and, you know, we turn down the lights. So it's mood lighting, just these silly little chandeliers are on and like a couple other lights and the kilter boards light up all beautiful. <laughs> and, you know, members can choose their own music. So like blasting like 60s rock or, you know, I have a college squad that comes in and blasts like 2000s dubstep. Um, and it's just so cool to see that the space can really be whatever someone wants it to be. Like the ability to walk in and not have to check in at the front desk. You just walk in like you own it, mm. you know? Um, That's cool. Yeah, it's really, it's it's very different. It's very different. Um, and the opportunity has been to kind of show people that. Because I remember when I first saw a board, I was like, no thanks, not for me. And so I knew that opening this gym, there would be a lot of people that would be like that. So it's been, I like to use the word opportunity. Um, as opposed to challenge, but it's, it has been fun to get people in here, even if they, you know, take a while to eventually come in and they're a little nervous and they're like, wow, like I get it now. Mm -hmm. Well, yeah. Cause I mean, it's, you know, board climbing is becoming a lot more popular and at least within people that are like training minded and, and like progress and performance minded. Um, it makes sense, but most people's association with board climbing is like, you know, there's a fixed 40 degree moon board at their gym. That's really greasy. And it's just nothing but shirtless bros crushing yeah. like V tens on it or whatever. Like that makes you feel like you have no space climbing on a board, but coming in here and seeing, you know, you just walk in and there's like six boards at all different angles. And a couple of them are at like 10 degrees overhung. And like people are clearly newer at climbing that are having a great time on them. And, it, it does change that a lot. You walk in, you're like, oh, cool. There's something here for me. Yeah. Know, that's neat. Yeah. And I have a couple, um, there's a couple members here that this is literally their first time climbing. And one of my favorite experiences in opening the gym thus far has been um, one of the members, like I said, this is really his first time doing much of any climbing. And I took a group of folks to index, like I like led a boardworks outdoor trip to index and it was also his first time climbing outside and he did his first like v0 you know and that was for me and a lot of other people on the trip just so inspiring and that's what's so awesome about this gym is like i've had a lot of people give me the feedback that out of all the gyms in the area this one is the least like egoy mm. there's the least amount of like dick showing or whatever because that's we're all like just yeah, that's it's cool because it's counterintuitive. Like yeah. you, you would expect it to be the broiest, most training mindsety gym in the in the in the city. So that's interesting. Yeah, but it's you know it's because we're all on our own journey in mm. here, and we're not really trying to show off to anyone. Like, mm -hmm. oh look, it's the new set. I'm gonna try and crush everything in the new set. It's like yeah. today I'm doing ten decoy board problems. Today, I'm doing my volume-based workout on the kilter board, and everyone's just doing their own thing. And then you can really start to get to know each other better because it's not this massive gym of, like, a sea of people. But when you come in and there's, like, five people, you start to recognize them. You can actually easy, more easily make genuine connections, and you're like, oh, it's Jason. Like, Or it's like, oh, Carrie, it's she's just learning to climb. And, like, look, she just did that V2. Like, heck, yeah. Like, woo. And it's, you can get so amped for people because everyone's trying hard, no matter like what grade they're climbing. Yeah. Yeah. That's cool.
and we will be right back. This episode is brought to you by Rocky Talkie. I love these things. I never thought I'd go back to using radios in the year 2023, but these things are awesome. Here's the deal. We all have phones, but sometimes phones aren't very helpful. Let's say you're climbing a multi-pitch or you're backcountry skiing or sitting on a chairlift and you don't want to drop your phone in the snow or you're mountain biking and it's a pain to stop and get your phone out or you just don't have service. Phones are not always the best option. The best way to communicate in the backcountry is with Rocky Talkies. I've actually been using these for bouldering. I often record interviews in the morning and I go climbing in the afternoon and I want to meet up with my friends and the Rocky Talkies have been awesome when I don't have cell reception. The max range on these things is 25 miles and they typically work up to one to five miles in the mountains and backcountry terrain. I haven't tested the range on these things, but so far they've always worked with zero issues, even in rocky areas like Waco. I've never had a problem. So check them out. Get 10% off your first pair of Rocky Talkies by going to rockytalkie.com slash nugget. That's rockytalkie.com slash nugget for 10% off your first order of backcountry radios. This episode is brought to you by Wonderful Pistachios. You guys know that I mostly eat whole foods when it comes to my nutrition, and I'm always looking for good crag snacks to bring to the boulders or to the cliff, something with some substance to keep me fueled for hours and hours of climbing. Pistachios are known for their protein power, fiber, and better for you unsaturated fats for a combination that may help keep you feeling fuller longer than other snacks. And they're super convenient and so tasty. Their no-shell flavors include the classic roasted and salted, that's my favorite, super basic, I know. Salt and pepper, honey roasted, chili roasted, and smoky barbecue. They are all so good, you literally can't go wrong. Wonderful pistachios come in a variety of sizes, perfect for enjoying by yourself or with family or friends, or taking them with you on your climbing adventures. So whether you're hitting the gym after work or heading out on a weekend adventure, fuel up with a healthy and tasty snack. Check out wonderfulpistachios.com to learn more about how these little green wonders can power up your day. Again, that's wonderfulpistachios.com to learn more. And now back to the show. I want to ask you about biggest challenges. Um, I'm sure there've been many. I'm sure you've learned a ton. I'm sure many things have been different from expectations. Um, I want to hear about that kind of in two senses, like ongoing operation, what's different than you expected, what's been harder than you expected or, or more challenging, but then also building the gym in the first place. You know, like we talked in September last year, you're like, yep, it's going to be open in November. <laughs> and then I think it was what, January. January. That's not too that's that, not bad. Yeah, that's not bad. Um, it happens with every single climbing gym I've ever heard of. I've never heard of any of them opening on time. Um, but what challenges did you run into building it and opening it in the first place? Oof. Um, I think the biggest, uh, to summarize the biggest challenge challenges is that when you're doing something like this, if it's your first time, you first need to learn what you need to learn and then you need to learn it. Like for me, like I needed to learn that I had to, I mean, I already knew this one, but get insurance. Okay, like how do I get insurance 
and then I have to go and do that thing. So it's like, since this has been my first time doing a lot of these things, I have to first figure out what I need to do, and then I need to figure out how to do it, and then I have to do it. So in building the gym, the actual construction, um, well, securing the lease was a challenge. Uh, and then I think the biggest learning curve for me was truly learning what bureaucracy is as far as like city permitting and, you know, um, like different inspections and just checking all of the boxes and having to operate on someone else's timeline, the contractors and all of these things. Um, and then not having control over that. <laughs> You're like, I need to open. Um, so that was one of the bigger challenges, um, which is surprising because like literally myself, Trevor and Ken constructed the gym. Like I did all, we did all the demo and then everything you see out there was like a team of three, pretty much. Wow. My dad helped too. I love my dad. My dad has been so fundamentally helpful in this project. My entire family, um, you know, I know we touched on my family growing up, but everyone has been so supportive. Like my uncle Bob, <laughs> uncle Bob, he was the, uh, the general contractor for this little bathroom sauna shower remodel. Um, so I've been, I've been so lucky to have so much support and it would not be possible without my family or without the people that have helped me. No way. Um, I just want to make sure I say that. Uh, but you would think that the hardest part would have been like doing actually all of the construction, but that was the easy part. Um, hmm. Physically hard. And then ongoing, um, I think the hardest part ongoing has been just, I don't know, man, just keeping, keeping everything straight. <laughs> keeping everything straight? Yeah, like keeping your head above water uh, when you have so many things going on. Mm. Um, oh, my gosh. Yeah. I felt a wave of exhaustion when you said that. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I'm, I'm teasing, but yeah, I, I get it. I get that for sure. Well, I think that's, you know, all human experience. The more things we put on our plate, mm -hmm. you know, Um but yeah, doing like all of the marketing and all of the ongoing, I don't know, member management and um, fixing the kilter board because it went out and, you know, like, and then also trying to have an eye on the future because I do have intention and plans to expand on this concept and on this model. And so that's, that's, there it is. That's the hardest part is moving this location along while at the same time in the back of my mind kind of laying the groundwork for future locations, whatever that might look like, mm -hmm. and trying to do them both at the same time. And then I also work full-time for Rock Gym Pro. <laughs> right, 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 right. So I have like – and then I'm also tr trying to train for climbing. <laughs> trying to be a rock climber. I'm trying to be a rock climber, so – um, yeah, there you go. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I know. I think initially you were like, this is just the beginning. Like we're going to do this gym and get it up and running and then we'll go, you know, to this location and open up a bunch more. And, um, but first you have to replace yourself. Like first you have to get everything to be running so smoothly that you don't need to be here anymore. If, if you're going to be the one opening the next location, which 
is hard. Yeah. <laughs> I've, yeah. I personally, do you, do you struggle with, um, I mean, this thing is your baby, right? Like, do you struggle with trusting other people to do things with like the control aspect of that with delegation? Yeah, absolutely. Like with, with the I podcast, do. I've like had an easy time handing off certain things like Instagram, you know, I, I hate posting on Instagram. So Stevie handles it for the nugget and it's awesome. But editing, I've thought about it for years. I still haven't done it because I'm like, well, who's going to care about my podcast and the finished product as much as I do? No one, you know, and, and I also enjoy it. Like I, I like having a chance to revisit the episode and listen to it and kind of like soak it in and have it fresh in my head before I publish it. But, but there's so many other things like admin and email and communication and like connecting with athletes to have on the show like that, you know, I could probably outsource a lot of that, but I want it done my way, you know, and I want to have that personal connection. Um, it's really hard. Yeah, it is really hard. Yeah. And then I think to that point, like not only is the challenge kind of letting go, but the challenge is, you know, you can't just be like, do this for me. It's like you have to show someone how you like it to be done and you have to kind of monitor for a little bit to make sure that it's done in the way that you want. So it's not as easy as just being like, yeah, here, do this. You have to like task it and then instruct. And that's such a, that can be so much of a lift that you're like, I'm just going to keep doing it. I'm just going to keep doing it. Mm -hmm. So it's hard to figure out what you're still doing because of the control and the enjoyment aspect versus just the, I have so much going on that I cannot even fathom teaching you this. Right. <laughs> right. Like it has to be kind of harder before it gets easier. Totally. Yeah. 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 And then like, hopefully that person's a rock star and wants to stick around for, you know, it's, it's tough. Like you, you want to find a really good person who's capable and like driven and like wants to do a really good job. But that type of person like wants to do their own shit. You know, they're not going to work for you forever. So yeah. how long are they going to stick around and work for you if you if you train them or hire them to do something? Yeah. Well, I've been really lucky. Um, I think I was talking about Ken and Trevor. Trevor has jumped in with both feet. He helped me build the gym and he's been like in it the entire time. Totally aligned vision. So much energy and so much psych for the model that he is on the team now, officially. Um, That's awesome. As is Ken, uh, because Ken could literally build an airplane out of a desk. <laughs> um, but I've been really lucky in finding Trevor. I think I definitely am learning a lot about my leadership strengths and weaknesses and the whole kind of yeah, it's really hard when you create something and then you're like, I can't do all of this myself. Like, what do I let go of or what do I delegate and task and share given my strengths and weaknesses and then figuring out what their strengths are and then figuring out how to, you know, define those roles while also cleaning the gym and making, you know, increasing membership, remember, all these things going on. So, yeah, it's, there's just a lot of moving pieces. And actually going back to what you were saying when you're talking about, like, this is such a beautiful model and beautiful gym concept and, like, everyone, like, people are talking about it. The idea of this, like, very low operational 24-hour gym, it's still really hard. 
it is not as easy as I think a lot of people think it is. Like, I'm just going to open this board gym and people are going to come and it's going to be super easy. Like, no way. Mm -hmm. No way. It's so hard. <laughs> what are some of the things that happen day to day or need to happen that people just don't think about or that have surprised you? Um, well, uh, like maintenance or like maintenance, teaching people how to use bit. the boards and yeah. Yeah. Like I think, um, you know, you, you, there will in any market, there's going to be a solid number of individuals and climbers that you announce what you're doing. And they're like, yes, sign me up, take my money. I'm in no questions asked. There'll be a demographic of people who are like, meh, maybe, maybe I'll come in. I don't know. I'm a little intimidated. There'll be people who are like, that's stupid, even though you know that they'd like it. <laughs> um, and then there's a huge amount of people who aren't climbers, which are the hardest to reach. I'm still learning about that. Um, so the idea of, of, yeah, like the education piece and showing people how to use the boards um, communicating with people. Like I field all of the phone calls and all of the emails, um, the 24 hour access system, it goes, it doesn't really go out ever, but even putting that together, you know, it has to link up with your member management software. It has to like unlock if someone scans their code. Like if you really think about how that works, it's, it, there's a lot that goes into it, mm. getting the insurance, um, and, you know, paying, paying all of the random bills and like setting up and then running through your books and individually all these tasks aren't a lot. Um, but being such kind of a small gym, it's not like you're going to have, you know, two managers and like a marketing person. It's all you and, it's, and yeah, Trevor. Yeah. Yeah. All Trevor and I and, and Ken for sure, as far as like building things. Um, so yeah, it's just, I think a lot of the people who are um, thinking about this model, at least people that I've talked to, they're like, I love your idea. Would you mind just answering all of these 50 questions about your membership numbers and your lease rates? Thanks. No. Um, I get emails like that all the time. Man, we could Do talk. You? We, we, oh, yeah. I mean, obviously they look yeah. different, but. Um, How did you start your podcast? How do you make money? Yeah, do you have that? any tips? I'm going to start a podcast. Do you have any tips? I'm like, Jesus Christ. Like, <laughs> go stop. Yeah. It's just like, I don't know. Like, that's just so half assed. And like, what do you expect me to say? I mean, I could talk about building a podcast all day to you every day for months, you know, and, yeah. and not even cover all the things that I've learned. Um, have you ever, you could, I, have you thought about being like, Oh, I'll, I'll talk to you. I, I have a co consulting fee. I do. Yeah. yeah nice. I do. I do consultations. Some That's people, awesome. some people, I mean, the people that are serious about it usually start with that. They're mm -hmm. like, Hey, I want to start yeah. this thing. Like I'm willing to pay, you know, blah, blah, blah. And I'm like, Oh, you're taking it seriously enough for me to give you my time. Cause someone yeah. who's like, I think it'd be cool to start a podcast. Do you have any tips? I'm like, <sighs> even if I tell you my tips, if this is your level of like commitment, you're showing that to me right now. You know, yeah. you're showing me that like you've given this half a thought. You think it's cool because like, you know, because you like my show and I get to go on climbing trips and you would love to do that or whatever yeah. it is, you know, but you haven't, have you really thought it through? Like, are you really taking it seriously? It's a little. I learned how to do all this using the internet, you know, like you can do that too. It's free, you know, good, ready, ready, go. And then when you have specific pain points or like, you know, questions, 
then I might actually answer your email. But um, but yeah, it's I don't know. It's just so funny. It's yeah. almost a little patronizing or disrespectful a little bit. Where it's yeah, like there's a yeah. lack of lack of awareness. Yeah. Yeah. Lack of awareness for sure. Yeah. It's like our time is we're both stretched pretty thin. I'm sure, you know, it's like time is kind of gold. Mm-hmm. I'm not. Yeah. And the knowledge that we've gained and kind of built up is very valuable. Mm-hmm. Right. You know? Yeah. Intellectual property. Yeah. 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 And I, I want to say like the people I have helped some friends start their own shows like Ryan Devlin, but he, he immediately was like, Hey, I'm, I have this idea. I want to pay you for your time. Like, I understand that you're super busy and like, he's been amazing to, to work with, you know, and now he's a friend and he has a cool show that he built and I've been on his show and it's just like, awesome. Nice yeah. dude. You did it. You know, collaborative. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Anyway, rant, rant over <laughs> emails. Dude. Uh, <laughs> I remember there was a point where I was building the gym and like, it was when I was interacting a lot with the city and timelines and permits and stuff and insurance, all these things. And I would just like every Sunday, I'd be like, oh God, I can't do Monday because that's when the emails start again. <laughs> like the weekend, at least like the nine to fivers don't email and it's like you get a breath. Yeah. Um, mm-hmm. it's when the emails start again. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. How many unread emails do you have right now? Oh, you know, I actually spent all day yesterday going through a lot of them. So, um, the hundreds, like no, less 50s? than, less than like 15 right now. Oh, I, I'm dang. pretty, I stay on top of it. I delete a lot of stuff. I like try to have like a pretty clean inbox. Cause it feels like I like really feel digital clutter. Like it affects my brain space. And so I try to keep things pretty clean and I have some tools that help. Like I, I used to like, I still do this sometimes, but I used to like, you know, read an email and if it had some action needed on my part, but it wasn't urgent, I would like mark it unread. And that Mm -hmm. was my way of making sure I didn't forget about it, which is a terrible system. So now I use, um, Todoist, which is a really cool app. Basically it's a to-do list app that you can sync to your email you can take that email from Gmail or whatever and like send it straight to your to-do list app with like a quick note. And oh, like that's you cool. can you can put a time and date and like a reminder on it if you want to, or you can just flag it and say like this is a you know level two priority. Ooh. So it's just like a place for me to store things that I don't want to forget about, but that don't need to happen right now, you know? Yeah, I like so that. So th- that's really helpful. But um, but yeah, yesterday I went into my I have two emails, like a work email and my personal, and I had like I had like 130 unread emails, I think. Mm -hmm. And, you know, a lot of them were like, oh, new patron, congrats. You know, it's like, great. You know, I don't have to do anything with that. Thank you, patrons, um, (laughs) for signing up. But yeah, it's just shocking how much time it consumes. And I've gotten a lot better at like something I really struggled with actually for a long time was letting other people's stuff change my priorities. You know, if someone like showed up and sent me an email that I didn't ask for, it just shows up in my, you know, my, my inbox, I would stop what I was doing and like, make it go away, like handle it, reply to it, whatever, whether it was like a great thing, a good opportunity, or just someone asking a question or just Mm -hmm. spam or whatever. And I'm a lot better at like sitting with the discomfort of knowing that I'm not on top of everything now, you know, cause that's, That's so critical. Like it can really make you crazy and it can really so easily, like 
if you get good at answering email, you just generate more email. Yes. Yeah. Yes, that's so true. It's like responding to something that doesn't need a response, really. And then the other person's like, I'll respond to them. And <laughs> I'll then thank them for thanking me. <laughs> it's like, God, you go. No, you go. <sighs> yeah, yeah. Um, I read the book 4,000 Weeks by Oliver Berkman. I think the subtitle is like Time Management for Mortals. Mm. That was a really life-changing book because basically his he really struggled with all this and was like obsessed with becoming more productive and efficient. And then finally realized all I'm doing is making more work for myself. And it's not the important work that I actually want to spend my time and my energy working on. Like I want to make a good podcast. I don't want to get good at answering emails, you know? Yeah. Um, so he he's the one that kind of put forth that idea, like just work on getting comfortable with not having addressed it all and, and not being on top of it because that feeling is an illusion. Like you never actually get there. Or if you get there, it lasts for three hours and then, yeah. there's, then there's unread email again. So just give up, you know, and mm-hmm. it's like, wow, that's a really profound Takes a lot of the pressure perspective. Off. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And it, yeah, when you were just saying, I want to be good at my business or whatever, my pop gym manager, whatever it is, not at emails, I can spend, you know, so long going through a fine, like going through with a fine tooth comb over an email that I'm sending to like, another, you know, gym owner or like a CEO or something. And I like spend forever, like micro tweaking it. Is that a term outside of route setting micro tweaking? It makes sense to me. Yeah. You know, it's like you're turning the foothold by like one degree and you're like, it's so different. Oh, a little bit more. And then everyone's just watching that one setter portal in the corner for like, you know, 30 minutes with their drill and it's really the same. I do that. That's why I don't post on Instagram. I do that with Instagram captions. Yeah, I like have the, Yeah, I have the hardest time not micro tweaking forever. And yeah. it's just like, no one cares. Can We're I tell just you about doom scrolling. Portaling really fast. Sure. Shout out to Travis, PG, uh, portaling when you're in the portal. So it was a setting term um, that I feel like a lot of people can relate to in their own life. But when you're in the portal, I think this is where like the day that it started was we all had like the blank, a blank area, um, the best part of the set or the bouldering area we were setting on the wave and all of the holds were available. It was just going to be a great day. And Trav was like just hell bent on setting this maybe double knee bar, like, I don't know, full 360 thing. He had an idea. He had a vision and we're like, okay, whatever you're doing your thing. You know, we had our list of boulders we needed to set, like four or five or whatever. Um, And so most of us are like going about our day, like setting our boulder. And Trav is over there. He had like a couple big features on the wall. And for a couple, a period of hours, the big features were just slowly moving around in a circle. And they would like end up back in the same place. And, you know, you would just see him like staring at them for like 30 minutes and that's when we decided he was in the portal where you're like making changes and you're just ending up in the be- in the exact mm. same area and it's just insanity. <laughs> and so you can portal on anything, you yeah. know? It's a great term. I strongly encourage you incorporate mm. it into your daily vernacular. I, I love it. I will. Thank you. I will take that and run with it for sure. Yeah. Yeah. And I mean, another another element of the email thing that I've had to learn to get comfortable with is, and I, I still, I still like think about this a lot. It bothers me to be flaky. Like I really don't like feeling flaky and I'm way flakier than I've ever been before because 
there's just so much, you just have too much. There's just too many yeah. balls in the air. But and it's like, n- and it's never personal, right? It's like, I'm exactly. so, so I did not mean. Yeah. And I know that I dropped the ball. I know that like emails and DMS and stuff slip through the cracks and I just forget about some of them. How many? And I, I hate that feeling, but I've, I've had to, yeah, I've just been practicing like being okay with being it. okay with it and like having grace for myself and and like hoping that people understand and if I've you know if I've flaked on anyone who's listening I really am sorry I just can't stay on top of everything and I'm I'm like really doing my best and I I think about it that way like ooh damn it I reached out to that guest they responded I got distracted mm-hmm. and I I let a, like an email that I initiated to a guest slip through the cracks that's so unprofessional and embarrassing you know and it doesn't happen often but damn it I let that happen and um but like well I'm I'm doing my best it's just me you know yeah scheduling all this stuff and I can and I need better tools like I'm still working on organization and stuff but I live in a van sometimes it's hard and you're traveling you know like I, I'm not meaning to make excuses but it's just those are facts. Um, it's facts. And it's yeah. it's super helpful to just kind of like look at all of that and zoom out and and just have like reasonable expectations for yourself. You know, like this is a really weird day and age and technological environment that we're in. It's not super normal for like hundreds of people to want things from you and be able to just like reach you yeah. whenever, whenever they want, you know? Yeah. And the expectation that you get back really quickly. Mm-hmm. And the, yeah, it's so um, untangible, mm-hmm. you know, all of the digital communication that we exist in right now. And it is really hard to stay on top of it. Uh, I can relate to that a lot. And then also with like the flakiness, I can relate to that as well, because I am, I am to a fault can be a yes person because I do mm-hmm. want to do all the things. Me too. Yeah. And in the past, it's been okay when I had time in my life. People were like, you want to come over? You want to do this? You want to go to Smith? You want?" I'm like, yes, 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 and yes. And then today I have like so little time, but I'm still like, yeah, I want to do it. Yes, 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 yes. Yes to everyone. And then I'm, I'm starting to realize that I can't do that anymore because it's not that I don't want to do it. It's mm-hmm. just that I... Literally cannot. Mm-hmm. So we need yeah. to rein that in. Rein that in, and then yeah, practice like radical honesty. You know, like with yourself, with the other person. Like, take a second to be like, do I actually have time to do this? And then if I don't, you know, have the courage to say like, hey, I love you. I really wish I could do this. Thanks so much for thinking of me. I just don't have the time today or yeah. next week or whatever. And. That feels great to receive that response, you know, as someone who it's way better than like someone saying yes. And then, yeah, (laughs) yeah, totally. totally. Yeah. But it's hard. I I still struggle with it. I've gotten a lot better at it, but, um, but yeah, I tend to, yeah. 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 It's interesting. Mm -hmm. I, something I also say a lot, I think this is a little bit different, but I feel like especially post COVID or like after all of that, our society and a lot of people, um, in our age range, we we want to have the invite, but we don't want to go. Have you ever thought about that? <laughs> it's like, I want to be invited to that party. And I think I'm going to go, but I don't want to go. But I want to be invited. That's funny. Yeah. Because if we're not invited, then we're like, I totally would have gone. <laughs> <laughs> That's funny. Yeah. I think I think there's some, definitely some truth in that. I think my thing is more, I want to say yes to everything because I 
like feels gross to say this, but like, I want to keep my options open. You know, I don't know what I'm going to want to do next Tuesday. Maybe you just want to. Yeah. Yeah. But that's like, that's not cool. You got to like be more honest with people than that or, or like manage their expectations really honestly and say like, I really don't know. Like, it sounds great and I'll make it if I can, you know, can I let you know next Monday? If you need to know now, then like, yeah, sorry. I, I probably shouldn't commit. Yeah. But, um, as a society, texting has made us way flakier. It's true. Because before, it's like if it was a phone call or if it was a freaking, I don't know, pi- carrier pigeon, it's like you were committed. <laughs> yeah. You were going to show up underneath that oak tree. Yeah. You know, next Or verbal Tuesday. plans. Like last time I saw you, we decided to meet up at this time at this place. Yep. And like I have no way to no connect way to... with you and change. Yeah. Yeah, totally. And now you can shoot a text 10 minutes before. We're like, we are so flaky mm-hmm. as a nation. It's Okay. Yeah, we're do, we're all doing our best. That's important to remember. Um, what do you wish someone had told you when you started planning BoardWorks? <laughs> Man, um, gosh, that's a tough one. I'll have to think about that. I feel like there's so many things. I feel like there's so many things that I thought I knew. What did, what did I wish they would tell me? Um, hmm. Word of mouth is not as effective as you think it's going to be. Because hmm. like for me, I feel like I've always been pretty integrated in the climbing community. And I'm like, if there's a new gym opening, I will know it. I'll know it before they know it. And there's still to this day, like people that come in, they're like, I'm big climber in the area. Like, I had no idea you guys were even open. Mm. I'm like, man. So I've learned a lot about marketing. Um, and next time, you know, I've, I've made it through, but next time I would probably like contract out some marketing help in the beginning. Yeah. So yeah, word of mouth is not like proactively to do more for like the launch. Yeah. Okay. Yep. Like gotcha. pre-opening yeah, yeah. Um, sales and stuff. Gotcha. Which I might have had, I was planning on having more time to do until construction was a thing. And that always takes way more than you think it's going to. <clears throat> mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. Why is that? We've been building things as humans long enough that we should Because there's the possibility know. of it being done on time. Mm. And we're You have to plan for like the, optim- the optimal yeah. time frame. And when we want something, like when we're like, ooh, all of my plans will work if this happens and then if that doesn't, if it's not like that, it's going to really suck. And we're always optimistic in that way. So we're like, it's going to go in. This will be how it is. Uh, case in point, the bridge at Smith. Mm-hmm. I called it. We all knew it wasn't going to be on dawn time, you know, but they, <laughs> yeah, I just heard about this. When was it supposed to be done? <laughs> Months ago. Um, it closed on August 18th. Uh, so for, they're basically taking out the old bridge across the river and putting in a new big one. For people listening, this is like the walking bridge. Like you you park at Smith, you walk down the hill to the river, you cross the footbridge, and then you can go to all the popular climbing areas. And now the bridge is closed. Yeah. And they said that it would be um, closed from August 18th through around September 21st. And I was just like, there's no way, dude. Like maybe if everything happens correctly, but that's not the world. And it was on time, on time. They were like, oh, it's actually going to open early. And then maybe a week or two ago, they were like, yeah, we, one of the beams got broken. So it'll be mid-October, November. I was Ooh. like, that's it. 
Because, yeah. Dang. And that's okay. Yeah. That's totally okay. It, the bridge had to go out. It had to get replaced. Uh, there's a couple people, like, I feel like I've heard word on the street is that there's people that are upset where it's like, why didn't you build a temporary one? Or why didn't you do all these other things? I'm like, I'm sure there's a, literally a very good reason for all of these things. They didn't want to inconvenience anyone, mm -hmm. but the bridge was going to fall down. Mm -hmm. They had to do it. Yeah. So anyways, yeah, I don't know why we undervalue the amount of time things will take to construct, but we do it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> cool. So yeah, for as far as BoardWorks is concerned, um, marketing and more of a marketing plan. Anything else? What was the question? <laughs> things you wish people had told you or warned you about or um, things you wish you'd like been a little bit more ready for, anything. As far as the lessons goes. learned, yeah, because uh, hindsight's twenty twenty, you know. Maybe another way of asking, if nothing's coming to mind, is you know you're planning to open a second uh, location eventually. Mm -hmm. um, oh, what are some things that you now know that that um, would have been really helpful for the first round? Yeah, so um, my stepmom is amazing and very good with design work and making things look very aesthetic. Um, like the room that we were sitting in. This was not me. Uh, it's cute. It's very cute. But, um, you know, there was, uh, she was encouraging me, my, my dad was encouraging me to make the gym, like, look to a T. Like, we need to paint the floors. We need to do all these things, make it look absolutely stunning. And I was like, you know, it's it's a climbing gym. Like, people don't care. And, like, you know, we'll make it look really, we'll make it look good, but, you know, people aren't going to care that there's these, like, crazy lighting features. And now, in hindsight, I'm like, yeah, a solid amount of people don't care, but you're leaving out a lot of your market of people who, like, walk in and they don't really know what climbing gyms are and they don't, and, like, maybe they're like, ah, I don't, I don't really know, but if it looks amazing, like a clubhouse that they want to hang out in, they're going to be like, I don't really know what climbing is, but the backlighting is super dope. Mm. I totally want to be part of this or like, look at the, like just those little nuances of design. Um, I undervalued the first go around because I thought it was just going to be a little training dojo. Mm -hmm. um, mm -hmm. And so moving on to the next ones, I'll have a new appreciation for the design work that maybe I as a climber and like a bit of my market doesn't care about or see. Um, but you're just like leaving out, you know, people that might really enjoy being here. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Just make it like a really enticing space. Yeah. yeah. For non-climbers. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Gotcha. Yeah. That's a good one. That makes sense. Do you want to talk about parallels between sport climbing and business? Like we had talked about you kind of having too much of your identity wrapped up in climbing mm. and having an unhealthy relationship with it and then kind of looking for a new identity as a business owner. And like, maybe that's been a good thing. Maybe you're running into some of the same stuff. Yeah, we can totally touch on that. So I think I talked a little bit about um, not being cool at all growing up and having a lot of self-doubt and insecurities and looking for a lot of validation externally. And I've, um, you know, there have been a few successes I've had climbing and everyone was like, wow, that's so cool. It's people are so excited about the things that you achieve in your climbing. Um, 
and being a strong climber. And like Lily is strong. She's got such strong fingers, like such a good sport climber, all these things. And all of a sudden you're like, oh, okay, well, that's what people value in me. You know, that's what, that's what I bring to the table is climbing strength and being good at training. And, um, and what am I without that? You know, so yeah, I've gone through periods. I'm, I aspire to be better, a better casual climber, you know, where it's like, oh, yeah, I'm climbing like, you know, whatever it is. That's like, that's fine. I'm not really training right now. But for me, I'm like, if I'm climbing that grade, then I'm like, oh, better get back to training. Like I need to, I have a very high bar for myself, which I'm trying to let go of. Um, and I think a lot of people can relate to. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, my, I definitely tie my identity very closely to how hard I'm climbing. And, um, and that's part of, I think kind of, uh, has influenced me a little bit in opening a gym is like, I wanted to stay in the climbing realm and I have a lot of experience and knowledge and motivation drive, um, for climbing and the industry. So I wanted to open a gym and kind of be like, that's going to be my new identity. Like that's, I'm like a gym owner. I'm like in the, the business side of things. And that actually, you know, it's definitely helped me grow in that area. But even still, you know, I'm like, oh, I, I want to go and like work on to bolt this year. And then and like, these are the things that I've done in the summer. And like, I just like still fall back into it's like my safe place is like being a stronger climber. Um because honestly, it's easy. <laughs> it's not easy, but I like training because you train, you put in work, and you see results. And then with so many other rewarding and fulfilling things in life, like relationships or business, like you might put in a lot of work, but you didn't do it quite right, and it just like pff, fails. Mm -hmm. So yeah, that was a bit of a, a tangent in itself, but um it's it can be a trap and one that I think you've said you experience and I like tying your identity to climbing a little bit. For sure. Yeah. I mean I, I wanted that's why I kind of changed course here because I, I and you brought us back around beautifully to something I wanted to talk about more with you. Um, you know, we were climbing a little bit at the gym earlier today and just warming up and I was we were talking about what we wanted to talk about and and I was asking like, you know, what you want people to take away. And I kind of was seeing you through my, you know, outside perspective lens and making some assumptions that, you know, you've talked about your eating disorder and you've talked about like the chapter from 2018 to 2019 where you were training six days a week and doing all this stuff and you've eased off a lot. And I know that you crushed a bunch of hard roots this summer and you've been like thriving in this gym, training on the boards and getting powerful. And I filled in a bunch of blanks. I'm like, cool, you know, you you had this eating disorder, you've like overcome it. And now you're like thriving and you're like, nope. <laughs> <laughs> it's like not that simple, still very much like in it, you know? Yeah. And, and some things have, um, I'm sure you've learned and grown in a lot of ways, but, um, but it's not that like really pretty put a bow on it, like inspiring story of like having overcome. You're, you're still very much like battling a lot of those same things. Yeah, Absolutely you know, I still totally struggle with disordered eating practices and habits. And 
I think it can be really hard because, you know, you go through waves too, where you're like, man, I feel really good. I feel really recovered. I feel really like sturdy and where I'm at. And then you like slip back down and it's hard to want to talk about it. You know, it's like you want to just be that pretty fixed, like, look, it's all going really well. But I think it's so important to be honest about like, yeah, like I, I've opened the gym, it's going well, I have future plans and I'm still dealing with my psychology and, you know, trying to figure out, for example, how to eat a burrito normally. <laughs> like I'll eat the inside and then maybe I'll eat the outside later. It's, you know, that's like a goal someday <laughs> is to just eat a freaking burrito normally. So it's, you know, it's such a work in progress and um, there's ups and downs and yeah, like it, it looks like it's all together and I mean, the gym's doing really well and I'm <laughs> making it through, but you know, it's really, it's, it's definitely hard. Mm -hmm. Yeah. It's, it's interesting. I think, I think my story's definitely different from yours. Like for me, disordered eating was like a more acute, um, chapter that had like a very specific, there was like a specific causality, you know, like I just got sucked into like trying to send a hard route, thinking I was just optimizing my body composition, got some bad info from a DEXA scan that made me think I had more weight to lose than I actually did, blah, blah, blah. Um, and eating, dis disordered eating, I should say a disordered eating because I never got like an actual diagnosis, but that came out of that whole mm -hmm. process. And as I was recovering, I was like, gaining weight and felt really felt a lot of shame and was restricting and binging and stuff and just kind of caused myself a lot of like suffering that didn't need to happen if I'd just known or or sought help or whatever. So so that looks pretty different, but it's it's interesting. Like I feel prob I can probably say that I've like recovered more than it sounds like maybe where you're at. But at the same time, like my latest thing is that I'm trying to um I've had psoriasis forever. Like I've had this skin thing since I was like 13 years old and it's not a big deal, but I turned 33 last year and realized I've been putting this like topical steroid on the back of my head for like 20 years. That's kind of messed up, you know? Like I've, I, I know that like what I eat affects it. Mm. Like sometimes I get flare ups and I can tell that it's related to food. Like if I go eat junk food or like go out to like fast food or whatever, like it flares up reliably and I don't know what it is. There's like all sorts of ingredients, you know? Um, but I've known for a long time that like, if I go more towards like whole foods and paleo and eat that way, it's better, but I still have no idea exactly how to eat. Yeah. And and it's like, it makes me crazy. And I, I you know, this summer I was traveling overseas and I just decided to kind of like ease up on the reins and just enjoy being in Switzerland, enjoy being in South Africa and just like not obsess about food. Cause I've, I've made myself like pretty afraid of like a lot of food, you know? Oh, totally. Yeah. And, um, and then I'm like, I come back from the trip and I'm like, well, that didn't work that well either. I didn't feel that good on the trip and my skin flared up a lot. And like, I do want to figure this out. And so where I'm at right now is like kind of back in that, in the muck of that, like I want to figure out how to eat and it's super hard to navigate socially. Like I come mm -hmm. to Bend, everyone wants to go get drinks or go get food. That's what people want to do. That's how they want to connect. And, and it's such a special part of connection in the social aspects of life and community. Um, and I've realized like, I need to get a coach. Like I need someone to tell me what to do here. And 
Cause I just don't know how to navigate it. I feel crazy all the time. Like if I'm trying to follow a weird elimination diet, I just feel like a weirdo and I yeah. like make exceptions cause I don't want to like go to a friend's wedding and not eat the food. You know what I mean? It's, it's a really weird, yeah, it's, it, it can make you very, very like, um, it's, it's such a distraction. Yeah. Like a distraction doesn't have enough weight to really, you know. It's not quite the right word. It's not quite, but it is the ultimate distraction. And the other reason that food and, and eating disorders, sort of eating is so hard is that like, you can't just cut it out. You can't be like, oh, I have an issue with alcohol, ixnay, you right. know, which is also very challenging. But you can at least be like, no more of it. You don't need it to survive. Yeah, you need food to survive. And when you have these weird, like humans, we like to, you know, follow patterns and routines and we create rules for ourselves and we create all of these different, you know, tracks that we have to follow. Some of us are more regiment, like I have um, OCD, what's the new term for it? I mean, obsessive compulsive uh, not a disorder because that's when it's more serious um, habits, something like that. But for me, it's like if I do one thing one day, then that has to be forever. So it's mm. like, oh, now I do sets of five pull-ups with 25 pounds on it, the 15 millimeter edge. It has to be that or better forever. Wow. Which is like ridiculous. I'm like diagnosing myself right now. I'm like, I, I don't know what degree, but I have a little bit of that. for. I have a lot of that for sure. Yeah. And I do that with food. I'm like, well, if I figure out like that this re super restrictive limiting way of eating works for me. Well, God damn it. I have to do that for the Forever. rest of my life. And like, that's probably not true. I probably just like need to heal some gut things and then I'll have more latitude with my diet. But, but yeah, I spin out because it feels overwhelming. Yeah. And I, and then like, as soon as I break from being able to maintain that, I make an exception, then like, I tend to just throw out the baby with the bathwater, you know? I'm like, yeah. well, I, I failed. I fucked up, you know? And so. Yeah. I think a lot of climbers are like that because we're so performance driven and, or we can be, and we're like motivate. We're very analytical. Um, and, you know, it's like with grades too. It's like, oh, well, I've climbed V5. Now I've got to climb V6. I've climbed five. 13C. Then why the frick did I fall on 11D? Smith Rock is stupid. I don't like it. Is Ricci. We set these expectations for ourselves, and anything less than that is a reflection that we are either, you know, um, regressing or failing. When in reality, we're just like I don't know, weird little creatures that are trying to do our best on the on the world. And <laughs> yeah, so with food, it can be very. Um, there's it. It just gets so complicated mm -hmm. so quickly. Yeah. Yeah. And again, I just shared all that to kind of share my own version of like still absolutely being a work in progress. And yeah, there's, yeah, I feel like I still, I'm 34 and I'm like, I don't even know how to eat yet. Like, yeah. This is, <laughs> I don't know how to go to the grocery store. <laughs> this is it's so annoying. I should have figured this out by now. And probably very similar for you, you know, like the nugget has been very successful and you're traveling around in the van, kind of like what you were saying. And I think it's so important to speak our truth and and say, you know, yeah, th these are the things that are going well. And I still get overwhelmed in Winko and I leave with like one bag of spinach and some milk. <laughs> and I don't know what I'm doing, <laughs> you know? Totally. Or like, or climbing, you know, I've, I've talked a lot about my journey with climbing and like have kind of become one of like the champions of like 
let your body be whatever weight it wants to be. And for me, I gained a lot of muscle and got heavier. And um, then when I was living at Smith and like have climbed hard since then, and I feel better, that's all true. But I still totally struggle with with like hangups around weight or around um, what my body looks like for specific styles or goals. Like I'm a long way from being confident that I could come back to Smith and climb Batman, you know, like the route that kind of kicked my ass before I left and, um, and, and lived on the road and stuff. I've climbed some hard, steep boulders and I've gotten way better at climbing in Waco and stuff like that. But Climbing is complicated. There's a lot of different expressions of being a good climber and, and climbing hard. And in a lot of ways, I'm still not, I still haven't caught up to the climber that I was, you know? So yeah. it's just, it's just interesting. Like it's, I'm absolutely still like struggling sometimes, having some breakthroughs and feeling amazing sometimes, definitely feeling better overall and feeling like I've learned a lot, but still like total work in progress just on the, on the path. <laughs> absolutely. <laughs> yeah. It makes me, so why, and this is such a hard question to answer, um, but like, why do you want to climb Batman or like I don't know if I do. 14 or like do grades, it just makes I, me think we've been talking about that shirt that I really love that says no one cares that you climb 513, yeah. <laughs> you know? Um, yeah. How much of your climbing, if any, do you feel like is... For others. And I don't think there's like anything inherently wrong with that, but like, you know, grade wise and kind of. No, it's a great question. I honestly don't know. Yeah. I really don't know. Some of it. I mean, you know, a big part of climbing 514 is just like, oh, that would be like credibility. That'd be cool. You know, Um, I've climbed 13D. It'd be really cool to just say, I've climbed 514. I mean, more people can understand that. It's quicker. It's like more of a, you know, you, you've crossed some like line that mm-hmm. feels significant, at least for us Americans. It's funny when you start traveling, it's like what's the 14? 8B to 8B yeah. plus. No one fucking cares. Yes, it's true. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Um, that's part of it. I mean, I think a big part of it is like I have always gotten a lot of inspiration out of working towards things or like evolving enough to do things that felt impossible at one point. Mm-hmm. So like yeah, for me, talking about the progress or the process. Yeah. Aspect. Yeah. Yeah. Like for me, you know, when I started climbing at Western Washington in this crappy little rec center gym, the strongest climber in there climbed like V8 and like 11 C or something, you know? And I was like, 512 must be impossible. And then when it became possible, it was like, it felt so fucking cool to be a person that could do that, you know? Mm -hmm. And same thing with 13. And then like, hopefully eventually with 14, like it just felt so other and crazy. And like, I couldn't do that. Like Mm -hmm. someone like me who started kind of late at 18 and like, I couldn't climb 514. And then the, it, it just excites me to think that oh, man, maybe I actually can. And like, now I think I definitely can, but so it, it's a mix of things. Um, I don't think anyone knows. Yeah. It's a you mix know? for sure. It's just it's interesting a, to think. It's about. interesting. Yeah. To your re- retrospective, you know, mm-hmm. I don't, I don't think I feel like I need to, I don't think I feel like anyone's expecting me to, or they're going to think differently of me if I don't. Um, yeah. Yeah. But I for sure feel like, you know, imposter syndrome and self-conscious as the podcast grows. I'm like, 
I, I know that no one expects me to be like a world-class climber. You know, I'm an interviewer. I'm a podcaster. That's why I'm here. You know, that's, yeah. that's my role in this whole thing. I ask the people questions and help share their stories. But of course, like there's part of me that's like, oh man, I feel like I'm getting left behind by the pace that climbing is growing and expanding. And like, I want to still be legit too, or become legit, you know, but, Let's, it, but that's all just ego stuff. And like, I know that if I really stop and think about it, I don't think anyone, I don't think I feel pressure or feel like anyone's expecting anything from me as far as that goes. Yeah. Yeah. I think a lot of the pressure is stuff we put on ourselves. Yeah. And I just try and I think try and remind myself that, yeah, I mean, it's kind of nice to be a, like a, you could be a 514 climber and no one, you have like zero fault. You don't even have an Instagram, you know, 514 yeah. is not really that big of a deal anymore. Yeah. Yeah. Which is like kind of, I mean, it's still very hard. I'm, you know, yeah. Um, I aspire. I would also like to get a 14 at some point. Um, but at the same time, it doesn't really mean that much anymore. You've got like you know, eight-year-olds that are sending 515. So, it, <laughs> you know. Totally, yeah. Um, we're all just, most of them are just like experienced recreational climbers. <laughs> mm -hmm. I will say, I have one more thought. You asked about Badman in particular. And I've like. That's such a cool, so hard. It's so hard. Yeah, it's so hard. I tried it a lot. I don't know if you were know. Were you at the, my the move to the. The pocket. Dead point to the, the dead yeah. point. Yeah, from the undercling. Yeah, I fell there. I fell there a lot. I probably had like. I don't know. I, I one hung the route many, many times. I fell there from start, like, oh, that's you know, probably close to 10 times where I actually was like kind of close to doing it. And oh, probably, no. probably had like three times where I like really almost stuck the pocket. Wow, dude. And never did. Um, and I, I think I, I've like lost a lot of interest in that style because in traveling and climbing in Waco and climbing in St. George, you know, in those caves and stuff, I'm like, wow, hard climbing can be way more fun than, than Badman is for yeah. me. Like it's, climbing, it, can, it can be a lot more type one fun than I realized. Climbing at Smith, like hard climbing at Smith is it's just brutal. stressful. It's stressful. It's very stressful yeah. because of how like you might fall, not because the move is hard, but because you just like barely did one little thing. Really. Yeah. It's very anxiety inducing. It's, it's anxiety inducing like in the moment mm -hmm. and then also like over the course of your season and like life, you know, you're like, how many actual good condition days am I going to get? And like, my skin's going to get screwed every time I try this. So how I only have this many tries in the seat. Like it just is a, tr it's just a tough place. But the reason if I do come back to it, I think the main reason why I would want to, I mean, for one, I have like a really strong, like unfinished business thing in my head, you know, totally. like I, I never forget yeah. <laughs> about the climbs that got away. Hashtag never forget. Yeah. <laughs> um, but then also it would kind of be the ultimate way to prove to myself that like my new strategy of just like embracing my body type is better yeah. than what I was doing before. Yeah. Because I was like 140 pounds, absolutely shredded, training my ass off, doing all the things. Were you it, even having it a good time? it wasn't enough. No. Yeah, exactly. You're never having fun when right. you're in that place. So it'd be, least, it'd be yeah. sick to climb it at 175 pounds and like a lot more muscular and a lot stronger and very different, you know? And enjoying your life. And enjoying my life. Yeah, yeah, that would be sweet. But will I actually? I'm not sure. I don't know. We'll see. Yeah. yeah. Um, not anytime, not anytime super soon. Yeah. That's like something I think uh, a lot because whenever I've um, in the 
past and even more recently, whenever I'm climbing really, really strong, I'm usually like just hyper fixated and eating really clean and running all the time and training all the time and sending really hard. But it's such a sacrifice for me. And similar to what we were talking about with that burnout, like that's how I've done it in the past. And so that's how I think it needs to be done. Right. But I don't think that's true. I think that what you just said, where you can have a healthier outlook and have a healthier approach is absolutely possible. I just haven't figured it out yet. Mm -hmm. So I keep doing what I'm familiar with, but I'm not even enjoying the climbing then because I'm tired and I'm cold and I'm like, you know. Mm -hmm. So I think, I totally think it's possible, dude. And uh, we work towards it. (laughs) Yeah. So you're, I mean, you've evolved so much. You're a board climber now. You like are strong on the the moon board and the kilter board. The moon board's the new truth. Do you feel like those things have do those things like immediately transfer totally. to your climbing at Smith? Totally. Do you think that's because I, I imagine that, I mean, for me, I feel the same, but I have such a depth of history with Smith. I think if I didn't have that, it wouldn't transfer right away. I'd have to like, you know, get a lot more specific with training to be able to like show up on a two or three week trip to Smith, for instance, you know, mm-hmm. um, if I didn't climb there all the time, but but yeah, for you, it just it just transfers right away. Oh, yeah. And I've also been doing a lot of, so like a lot of the powerful moves and lock-offs, um, dynamicism. Uh, like there's that move on Mama Dacus where you're coming off the beach ball and you have the shitty left-hand crimp and you have to like... Kind of pounce to that yeah, little sloping pocket exactly. thing. Mm-hmm. And, uh, that hold was so annoying. You kind of have to, you can't just like grab it down pulling. You have to like kind of fish hook it. Yeah. Like it's only good like sideways. And that foot is like, you're like, it's not going to pop. It's not going <laughs> to And then you have to like do the high. It's such a cool little sequence, but it's definitely a boulder problem. It's yeah. absolutely a boulder problem. Yeah. Um, and so previously, you know, like does it directly translate to some of the routes I was, you know, enjoying before, like the very vert you know, tech darkness faces, darkness, and, mm-hmm. um, the, not directly, mm-hmm, but as soon mm-hmm. as you start getting into some of those more pouncy areas, it's direct translation. And then it's been cool training here too, because like I, I have a solid foundation of training, but I have picked up so much stuff from other members, like all this one arm stuff that I've been doing, one arm shoulder shrugs, working on like my one arm lock offs, um, has made a huge difference. So it's both the board climbing and then also like the hive mind that you get in a place Mm. like this yeah. where maybe you've been climbing for a long time, but so has that person and they have a totally different way of training and it is exactly what you need. Mm -hmm. So that's been super cool. You, uh, you talked about, um, the other day you mentioned that you were going to train for to bolt or like, you're going to try to bolt this winter with, with Mike. Yeah. Shout out to my buddy, Mike Dalby, old roommate of mine. Um, I'm so stoked hearing that. That's awesome. Um, Apparently you already got on it the other day without me. Oh. (laughs) Lame. Um, Okay. okay, So we're like entering the season already. Are you going to train for it in a specific way? Because that is like board climbing. Yeah. It's relevant to hard outdoor climbing. It's relevant to hard boulder problems on Roots at Smith. But probably not helpful for. To bolt's pretty unique. Yeah. Just. For people that don't know, it's just a hundred feet of dead vertical micro crimping. Yeah. So sustained. It's beautiful. How do you prep for that? Um, so I have a pretty good foundation. I don't think my fingers need to be much stronger. I just, I don't think you could ever have enough endurance for that route. 
So all I'm going to be doing is I'll continue my, like my finger strength stuff, which is really just doing weighted pull-ups on hangboard. Um, and then, hmm. yeah, that's like people are doing weighted pull-ups on a pull-up bar. That's cool. But why not a hangboard? Cause that's actually how climbing holds. That's how, actually what you're grabbing onto when you're climbing. Mm-hmm. Um, so you're just doing kind of like long, really long single hangs. Just moving while you're doing it. Yeah. Yeah. So I'll do like sets of five pull-ups with added weight on, you know, whatever edge I'm feeling like. Um, I don't ever hang board. But for the actual actual climbing training, I'll do a couple days of like board climbing and then a few days if I can't get out to Smith and do it. I honestly like training endurance inside because it's just really efficient. And so I'll set a board either the decoy or the spray board to somewhere between 15 to 25 degrees. And I'll stay on it, focusing on just using crimps and really tiny feet. And I'll stay on it for like 10 minutes and then I'll take a 10 minute break and then I'll get on for 10 minutes and I'll try and repeat that as many times as possible. You can get a really solid foundation of endurance. And then I have a bolt is like my style. It is 100% my style. So um, as far as the movement goes, like I am 100% a square. I'm pretty flexible and I just starfish to the wall. So I think I've tried it a few times before. And I think that if I can just dial all the moves and get my endurance where it needs to be, I think that it is possible. Awesome. Mm -hmm. Oh, yeah. Is that your main goal right now? Um, Yeah, I think so. Sweet. Yeah. We'll see. We'll see. How it goes. We'll see if I numb out. It was like 60 degrees at Smith the other day. And I was numbing out and I was like, mm. man. Yeah. Cause you have rain. Ray- I have rain right? yeah, yeah. 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 Rain Yeah. That's, Heated I mean, and that, uh, oh, <laughs> that's cool. <laughs> I need one. Yeah. Yeah. That makes sense. Yeah. That, I mean, that's another thing about Smith that makes it so challenging. And to bolt is the epitome of this, like the line between good conditions versus like too cold and you're going to pressure numb out because you're just murder crimping every single hold like it's such a fine line or such too a fine hot line. and you're gonna slip yeah yeah mm-hmm. you need conditions but if it's too cold you'll numb out if it's too warm you'll grease off and man yeah. so yeah it's frustrating i'm also yeah i'm definitely gonna use use bolt to also try and i'm not gonna i was prioritizing climbing bolt really really hard a few months ago and right now i'm like you know what? i'm gonna get on it i'm gonna have fun if it goes it goes i'm really trying not to and I'm also not going to not talk about it. Like I can talk about it and fail on it and that's fine. Mm-hmm. You know? Yeah. I'm really going to try and approach it, practicing a more healthy mindset. And like, if it feels like good and I want to train for it, cool. And if I'm like, eh, that's not really where I want to be right now. I'm really going to try and be like, that is okay. No one is going to like you less because you didn't climb to bolt. No one's going to be like, well, she said she's going to try it. And then she fell off the third clip. No one's doing that. Mm-hmm. I'm thinking that. Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. it's a good time. It's a good opportunity for me to really practice having a better mindset. Cool. Is there anything else you're working on personally as far as like the mental or emotional side of climbing? Yeah, just removing myself from from the grades and the um, validation that I get from climbing, I think. Working on strength building. 
where are you where are you hoping or working on getting that validation from? Uh, myself. <laughs> what does that look like? Um, knowing that, knowing that I am happier and bring more energy and light to the world when I am not focused because focusing entirely on climbing strong is a little bit selfish almost. And if I can like care less about that and have more energy to bring to my friends and to what I'm doing. And I like, I used to do a lot of art that I've felt a lot of, um, you know, the gate, gate brought me a lot of joy and, um, having more bandwidth to do things that aren't just climbing. Um, I think that's motivating. It's awesome. Yeah. Yeah. Bringing in some of those other things. Yeah. I saw, I saw some of your artwork on the wall in mm -hmm. your gym. It's great. Anything else that we uh, should cover? Anything that we missed or that feels important? Winko um, chicken. Um, we don't have to talk about that. Um, <laughs> what do you say? Winko, Winko chicken. Winko chicken. Deli meat. Deli do meat. you want to talk about deli meat? No. Um, no. I we, think, can, we can save it for next time. Yeah. <clears throat> Perfect. Okay. I think we got there. This has been amazing. Yeah. Thanks so much for, for two hours of your time. Um, and it's so fun to see the gym finally after talking to you a year ago. And, um, I mean, I don't, I don't get to come to Ben very often. I, I, I can do whatever I want, but I don't come to Ben very often. It's really fun that this worked out and then I finally got to see it and climb and try some new boards. I'd never tried the decoy board before. It's hard. So that was, it's very hard. Kicked my ass. Um, but very cool. Um, I've just got some closing questions. I love to ask this one. What do you wish people spent more time thinking about? I think people, including myself, should think more about being in the present moment. Awesome. Very basic and something I feel like we all say. But with phones and how busy our schedules are, I'm usually, I can end up like not being very present, you know? Mm -hmm. And just really working on staying present is easier said than done. Yeah, it is. It's really, it's really fascinating how I've like really been noticing my phone addiction lately. And it is, if you start paying attention to it, it is like really disturbing. You know, you go to a doctor's office or something. I had a sinus infection recently and had to go to the doctor's office and was just sitting in the waiting room for like 20 minutes, not very long. And, um, tried to just, I was like, I'll just like sit here, you know, yeah. and just like, be here and not fuck around on my phone and like 15 seconds go by and there's like an itch you know you're like oh maybe i'll just grab my phone and check to see if i got any messages it's crazy it is it's crazy yeah Need some dopamine snacks give them to me you know yeah we yeah. haven't even had smartphones for that long and they've already become so pervasive mm -hmm. you know just in like what 15 years mm -hmm. ish so yeah, it's it's good to have a check-in. That's a great one. Think about being more present. Is there anything else that you want people to know about you, about BoardWorks? Oh, man, there's always so many things. Um, people should come check it out. It's in Bend, Oregon. If you're coming through, 
Can people like stop in and get a day pass? I know that, I mean, it's a 24 hour access gym. So it's staffless. So your first time is free, but you do have to book it so that I'm here to let you in. Okay. Yeah. You can do it online. Nice. Yeah. Sweet. Anything else? I don't, I don't (laughs) think so. I mean, there's always, I can always talk about things, but yeah, just as a society, remembering that minus the few true sociopaths, we're all doing what we think is best. Mm. Having more grace for others, having more grace for ourselves, knowing that we're living in a ridiculous world that human brains did not evolve in. And we're like placed in these totally artificial environments. And we're like, why am I not totally succeeding? Why do I have anxiety? Why? It's because we're just very primal creatures that are put in a completely artificial, we grow up in a weird ass world. So just remembering that. And then, yeah, we should all try and be, I know I opened a gym that's like heavily app dependent, but other than that, you know, trying to be off our phones a little bit more, I'm doing the same, you know, it's totally, it's, uh, it's not tangible. Mm -hmm. Phones are. Mm-hmm. powerful and great you know they do a lot of great things technology is great chat gbt i've used it you know but trying to maintain very authentic connections is just so important that's why we like climbing mm. i love climbing for that reason mm-hmm. so yeah yeah where can people find you where can people find boardworks? yeah so um, like all the things yeah, I spend, I've gotten real good at reels. Um, so what I post mostly on the BoardWorks Instagram page is actually training videos. I'm going to post one today actually about flexibility. It's like a little stretching routine. The other day I posted one about like shoulder health, like something you can integrate in your training. I do one about breathing, about technique. So if you're looking for any kind of training info, the um, following at BoardWorks Climbing on Instagram um, or Facebook is a really good. Haven't gotten into TikTok. Don't think I'm going there yet. But um, that's a. It's there's a lot of good content there. Um, and then if you want to check out the website, see what we're all about, uh, BoardWorksClimbing.com. And then you can find me um, either in Agro Gully um, or Morning Glory Wall. On the, uh, on the side of Tibolt or not to be. Yeah, exactly. Either belaying Mike or <laughs> hang dogging. It's where I'll be. Thank you. Thanks yeah. for doing this. It's been really wonderful to get to know you better. It was a really good conversation. It was. Thank you so much. Yeah, of course. My pleasure. Thanks for showing me your sweet gym and for setting aside some time. And uh, I'd love to do it again. Absolutely. Thanks for hanging out in the cube. <laughs> Thanks everyone for listening. Hey friends, before you go, quick shout out to all of our sponsors for this episode. As always, you can find links to all of our sponsors and you can see the coupon codes for their products in the show notes at thenuggetclimbing.com or just by scrolling down right there in your podcast app. I make it really easy for you guys to get great deals on some of my favorite products. So check them out. Scroll down right there in your podcast app or check out the show notes at thenuggetclimbing.com. And as always, I put tons of goodies in the show notes. So for this episode, you can find links to all the things, videos and books we talked about, 
related podcast episodes, my guests' links, etc. You can find all of that stuff conveniently linked for you at thenuggetclimbing.com. Just find this episode and all of the show notes will be there, including timestamps so you can scroll around and find some of the best nuggets from this interview if you want to listen to those sections again. And as always, thank you guys so much for listening. If you want even more great content, if you've been loving the show, I do have a Patreon. I have tons of bonus episodes over there, almost 50 bonus episodes. They're called follow-ups that I've published so far with past guests from the show. Those bonus episodes are some of my favorite interviews that I've done on the podcast. You can get access to all of those and ad-free episodes and more for $5 per month. Go to patreon.com slash thenuggetclimbing to learn more. There's a link for Patreon right there in your podcast app as well. Thank you guys for listening. I appreciate all of the support. Happy climbing. I hope you have an amazing week and we will see you next time. Cause no one can